think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 14, Episode 87. He's Dave Ryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Wednesday. Steelers Nation got a great show for you guys today, getting ready for the Super Bowl to watch that one between the Chiefs and the 49ers. But a little bit later in the show today, as we kind of motor along in the draft season, I have a great Shrine Bowl group roundtable with Joe Clark, Melanie Friedlander, and Tony Calderon sharing their insights and uh, first-hand experience. They were uh, at Frisco, Texas last week for the 2024 Shrine Bowl. ton of great information there uh, from interviews and practice reports and who the Steelers may be interested in. So got a great show today. Dave, how you doing? I am doing fantastic. A lot better than yesterday. I think I got some of these site issues uh, cleared up, knock on wood there. But I uh, had a great hour chat with uh, as part of that round table that we do yearly coming out of all the uh, all-star games. Uh, you know, that look, it's helpful to have uh, uh, people that were there and, and kind of try to catch us up as, as mm-hmm. quick as possible because it's a long list of names to try to learn a little bit of a little bit about, you know, a lot of people as, as quickly as you can before we start getting into the uh, especially before the combine gets here, which now that's uh, I would imagine I look back last year, I think it was uh, February 8th when uh when they uh, uh, announced the uh, the combine invite, so I, I I would guess that we're less than a week away from 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 knowing that long list of however long how many people that will be. So uh, that'll obviously have our attention here in the next couple of weeks. One thing having our attention: the Steelers keeping us busy, and in typical Steelers news fashion, literally minutes after the Monday podcast was recorded, some Steelers news came in. That's what we'll start today. Also, want to touch on some comments from Art Rooney the second as well a little bit later in the show. But Frisman Jackson, the Steelers wide receivers coach, is no longer the Steelers wide receivers coach. Reportedly uh, parting ways. I believe his contract was up, and so he had been. Pittsburgh's wide receivers coach for the last two years. Some of the turmoil there with the receiver room probably had an impact on that. So Frisman Jackson is out. Pittsburgh will have to find a new wide receivers coach and then also two offensive assistants parting ways with a team in assistant quarterbacks coach David Cordley and offensive quality control coach Matt Tomshow. Tomshow was essentially Matt Canada's right-hand man, uh, was hired by Pittsburgh when Canada became OC in 2021. Those guys kind of really Tomshow follow Canada around through the college ranks and Corley was hired a year or two ago. He's got some William and Mary ties and I believe was an intern in Pittsburgh uh, a decade plus ago, but he is now out uh, of the organization as well. So three more spots uh, likely to be filled for the Steelers. Yeah, I, we're going to, you know, the, this thing will go longer into the off season as, as far as them filling out uh, the staff. And I, I don't, you know, 
Uh, I think Jerry Dulac says they're they're interviewing quarterback coach candidates. So I would imagine. I mean, do, you know, don't really know for sure what the status of Mike Sullivan's going to be. Uh, Frisman Jackson, obviously, being the the uh, the big news uh, right now uh, as far as position coaches go. Uh, I think you asked me, you know, right after the season ended or thereabouts, uh, who 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 I thought maybe should should be on the outs. And I think I, I named Frisman, uh, as, as one of them. So I'm not overly shocked at, at, at that news overall It'll be interesting to see what direction they go in as far as replacement. Uh, uh, you bring up a wide receiver position coach and, uh, Steeder fans will uh, obviously throw out the name of Heinz Ward. Uh, a couple of years ago, I would have, uh, you know, I definitely did say uh, probably way too early for that. But since then, obviously, Hines has uh, been a head coach in the developmental spring leagues. Uh, I think he was on the staff of the Jets. Uh, it, 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 it's more plausible, I guess, uh, uh, this time around when it comes to Hines Ward. We'll obviously have to wait and see you know, how that transpires. But I think you uh, built a nice list of, what, five or six names in a post? Yeah, a list of six logical names, and it's impossible to really have a lot of confidence in predicting who they're going to hire. It could be anybody, but I, I think Ward makes a lot of sense for the moment, what this, this team needs, maybe somebody that can offer a bit more discipline and certainly somebody that will embrace the run-blocking aspect, the effort aspect, which is important in general, but also under new OC Arthur Smith that really prioritizes that, those RBIs, assists, as he likes to term them for throwing that extra block downfield to spring a receiver post-catch or spring the runner from a good run to a great run. So, and, and there have been reports, I think Ward had even said that a while back around 2018, he uh, you know had interest in the job for, for the wide receivers coach position in Pittsburgh, did not get it, obviously, but there was some interest there. So does that remain? remain? We'll have to see. But yeah, I think Ward, although an obvious name, is a pretty logical name. Others that I put on that list, I think really one good one would be Bobby Ingram, former Seahawks. Mm wide receiver. He was with Washington with the coaching staff changes there. I don't know if he's going to stay on staff under new OC Cliff Kingsbury. So that one, um, he's an experienced guy. He's helped develop uh, players, even had some tight end coach background developing Mark Andrews, but has worked with wide receivers as well. So that's a name that I think uh, fits because I, my guess, and it's just a guess, they're going to look for somebody with more experience and kind of more of a closer to a Daryl Drake, Richard Mann type than maybe the younger type they just had in Prisman Jackson. Do you think they'll get a former player or, or, or how, how would you like to see them get a former player? You know, it, there's a benefit to it from a credibility aspect, but to me, it's just how good of a coach are you? You know, former players, sometimes they can be really good coaches. Sometimes they can't because sometimes the really talented players just had that instinct and it's hard for them to coach and teach and explain. Um, and maybe with receivers coaching in general, you kind of maybe get ex players a bit more often. If I had to guess for some Jackson was a former NFL receiver, for example, it could go either way. Um, you know, it, to me, it's just about getting the right coach. We thought maybe last night, uh, based on that New Orleans Saints uh, news, uh, Ronald Curry might be an option, but uh, woke up this morning. I think he's headed to the Bills, right? Yeah, rest in peace, my Ronald Curry, the Pittsburgh wide receiver coach, thought from about 11 p.m. last night to, I don't know, <laughs> 9 a.m. this morning. And I, I mentioned that just because it sounded like Curry had a job lined up. And so based on the timeline of Pittsburgh, uh, parting ways with, with Jackson, did they have a replacement in mind? And um, Curry had some ties to Tomlin, to Arthur Smith. They played together in North Carolina. So it was just a shot in the dark. Some other names on that list that I uh, had come up with, 
And I believe the last name is, is, is Lau, but Sanjay Lau, the, the receivers coach in Seattle, one of the one of the better in the game. And again, it, it's a little hard to tell with these new coaching staff who's going to stay, who's leaving. Not even sure if those things have been decided yet in their respective organizations. But he's a guy that worked in Dallas and uh, worked in Seattle this this past couple of years with DK Metcalf and Jackson Smith and Jigba this year. So there's a way you could get him. That would be, I think, a really, really solid hire for the Steelers. And then just kind of one name, just throwing something out there a little out of the box, was Brendan Marion, the OC at UNLV. Now, he is a younger guy, and I just said they might look for somebody a bit older, a bit more experienced, but he's got some Pittsburgh ties. He, I believe, was the receivers coach at University of Pittsburgh uh, way back when. He's really developed some really good offenses and worked well with that group. So this would be just as a receivers coach uh, capacity, but I did want to mention that just because I thought Marion's one of those up-and-comers, and if he wanted to come to the NFL – what better place than Pittsburgh? All right. Uh, this is probably going to be fluid for a couple more weeks because still looking for, what, assistant uh, defensive backs coach probably. And then mm-hmm. uh, obviously had a uh, 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 couple of the assistant uh, uh, offensive uh, guys go out the door that you mentioned at the top of the show there. So and then obviously we'll wait and see what happens with uh, Mike Sullivan a- 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 as well. So uh, uh, this might take a little, little, little while longer. Yeah, I think there'll be a trickle. There's definitely going to be a hiring kind of quote unquote frenzy. I mean, they've lost four offensive coaches in Glenn Thomas and Prisma Jackson, David Corley, Matt Tomshow, and then Jared Alexander defensively. And that's lost. Some of them are parting with the of the ways and some of them going to other teams. So, you know, lost is a, a relative term. When it comes to the quarterback coach situation, as you mentioned, Jerry Dulac saying they've interviewed guys. I, I couldn't get a read. Is that were they just protecting themselves if Sullivan were to, to go somewhere when he was interviewing for OC job? Was that for the assistant, you know, quarterbacks coach anticipating Corley leaving the team? I, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what to make of it either. Yeah, it could be potentially all the above and and as outsiders and all, it, it, it really is hard to disseminate. Uh, what's 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 all out there right now? I, I, I'll know this. I wake up every morning and, and look at the media site to, to <laughs> see. Uh, and I know you do as uh, well to see what 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 uh, what uh, changes uh, have occurred. And Mike Sullivan still listed as the quarterbacks coach on there. They, they have added Arthur Smith uh, to the, uh, to the page. However, comma, they still have Gerald L. Alexander on the page. Right. Uh, right. Uh, so that you probably, uh, still a fluid thing, and it, it's way too hard to read into some of this stuff right now. It is. I mean, it even could be where they're looking at a quarterback coach to, to have a pass game coordinator title. They don't, Pittsburgh typically really has never done that. Right. Could there be a change this year? Who knows? So, I, I, point is, I don't know what to make of that quarterback coach report from Jerry Dulac. I, I don't think it has to mean that Sullivan is on his way out, though. I think there are other plausible explanations, and they have removed Frisman Jackson from the page. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that was, that felt like the one guy that you had some degree of confidence would not return. I mean, not, the receiver group, they weren't bad. I mean, they, you know, Pickens, I thought got better his second year, just the group kind of felt too chaotic and too much in turmoil. And is that all Frisman Jackson's fault? Probably not, but you've kind of fallen the sword when that group does, right. just doesn't, it just kind of always something going on with that group. Right. All right, the other big news of the day, Art Rooney, Steelers team president, had a one-on-one interview on Tuesday with KDKA's Bob Pompiani. And the big quote, big takeaway here, gaining some buzz, is the final question in the interview that uh, they aired on KDK that Pompiani asked was, 
would you consider trading for a quarterback should one become available and the price uh, is right to acquire that guy? And Rooney's uh, said they are not closing the door on anything. It was more of a broad-based answer about it's early February, and you know we're kind of going to explore all options. Let me pull up the exact quote here. Yeah, he that. says, uh, as we sit here in early February, we're not closing the door on anything. Uh, he goes on to say, we have a lot of evaluations to go through, and we'll go through all the options and do what we need to do to be better this coming season. So, uh, no... I know this can be painted several different ways, depending on what narrative you want to uh, flow with here. Uh, some some might paint it as that was his opportunity to throw full support behind Kenny Pickett and say, no, we're not going to trade for a quarterback. But then on the flip side, the other side, you could paint this thing as, Look, we're not going to paint us in any corner whatsoever, and my answer is very broad-based in saying we're not closing the door on anything because you never know what might uh, could 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 happen uh, with with within that. So I, I guess is this is this just you know how do you interpret it? Do you interpret it as well if a better option? Yeah. In other words, is this any, can this be viewed as any sort of a slight against Kenny Pickett? No, I wouldn't say that. I think it it is interesting that he didn't say no, because he could have easily said, no, we're not interested in doing that. Or even just say it's unlikely. I don't think that's the direction we're going to go. He could have had a, a stronger denial to that question, but the reaction should not be, oh, my God, Justin Fields is about to become a Pittsburgh Steeler. That's not what Rooney seemed to be getting at either. It was kind of more of the vaguer, you know, it, it is early. They're still evaluating and may not have their exact plans together. Um, the combine is kind of a time when you start hearing about, OK, who's who's on the block and what the potential asking price could be and, and those types of things. So um, I, I think it is worth noting because Rooney did not say no, but it does not guarantee or mean they're going to go make a big swing at quarterback. Uh, I want to reiterate uh, because you you can't have these type of conversations without guys like uh, Justin Fields' name uh, uh, coming into the conversation. And I, you know, it, it's still way early. I think Adam Schefter was on some podcast somewhere saying that it it it's, it, it seems like the Bears might be willing to uh, trade. Justin Fields for, I don't know, whatever, I forget what he said, maybe a second or even a first or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But I think it's important to reiterate what comes along uh, with, 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 with any team that was to, that were to trade for Justin Fields. If indeed that's the case, a, what is the compensation going to be uh, B a, and, and, you know, that's always, you know, negotiable or, or, or a conversation in and of itself there. Uh, second being that, man, if you give up anything of substance for a guy like Justin Fields uh, via a trade, uh, you, you such a deal would probably happen ahead of the draft, uh, first and foremost. Second of all, is you would acquire the rights to exercise the fifth year option. And why would any team trade for a guy with anything of substance uh, as, as, as far as draft capital goes and not turn around and 
and and and pick up that fifth year option, which, by the way, thanks to the new CBA and all like that, that becomes uh, automatically uh, fully guaranteed. And you're talking about a number that, that that that's expected to be over 20 million. So uh, if you're if you're the, if 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 you're looking at this as a Steelers fan and a, a, an analyst or what have you. You, you would have to go into this thinking that if the Steelers indeed wanted to trade for a guy like Justin Fields, it's because they think he could be the future. They think that he could start in 2024 for the team and, and even beyond, because it, it's hard to imagine, at least from where I sit, a team trading for Justin Fields, not turning around, picking up that fifth-year option, and then trying to roll forward for at least the next the next two seasons, 2024 and 2025, uh, on, on top of that. Would would you agree with that assessment? Could you see a team trading for him, not picking up the fifth-year option, and saying, we'll see, and then if he plays well, then we'll just franchise tag him or, or, or something along those lines? I don't like ruling things out, especially league-wide, because you never know what the other 31 31- or in this case, 30, Sands, Pittsburgh, and Chicago would do. But I, I don't know how it was a franchise you could justify that. Of We like the guy enough to, to trade for him, but we're not going to pick up the option on him. I think if when it comes to quarterbacks, to me, Dave, you're either all in or you're all out. Mm-hmm. And if you're not all in, then you're all out is, is kind of how I, I view it. If you want to make this move, make the move. Don't dip your toe into the water and, and, and test and see. Uh, when you're talking about trading for a guy like Justin Fields and what that comes with. So if I'm an NFL franchise, if I'm Pittsburgh, if they're trading for Justin Fields, that's your guy, pick up the option, you're going to go all in on him. You know, uh, our own Tyler Wise had an interesting uh, uh, kind of view of, and I, I, I'm guessing this is related around what, what Art Rooney said or didn't say or however you want to uh, frame what Art Rooney said about, you know, door being open here. Uh you know, he, 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 in so many words, he kind of thinks, okay, maybe not so much Justin Fields, but what about, about a guy like Trey Lance? Yeah. And he mentioned that Arthur Smith was at that uh, pro day that Lance had. And I believe there was reports that Falcons were interested in Lance. I forget exactly what Tyler had tweeted and what the whole circumstances were. That was the year that San Francisco moved up and there was controversy about who do they like, who are they going to take, and did they make a last-second pivot to Lance? Um, That's possible, too. That's probably more realistic, although I don't know how much that really changes and alters your your quarterback room. Right. But, I mean, at least to me, look, I don't think it's going to happen, but Mm -hmm. uh, uh, if it did happen and it be a young pedigree quarterback, you know, you low, you, obviously the investment I think would be a lot lower, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in a guy like Lance. Cause what, what, what did Tyler put in? He's got what, like four starts or something, four career starts, uh, still obviously young, uh, would probably be cheap. And then, you know, uh, you wouldn't be married to, I don't think trading for him. I mean, if you did trade for him, I don't think you'd be married to naming him the starter right after no. you know, uh, 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 that kind of thing. And, and if indeed this team, and he mentions here, you know, Rooney has continually talked about competition uh, for Pickett. Uh, if you, if you're going to uh, long story short, if you're going to have a conversation about this team trading for a young pedigree quarterback, it would, it would probably make more sense, at least from where I'm sitting to have conversations about a guy like Trey Lance more, more so than it would, would Justin Fields. 
Sure, it's logical. They they need you know, a third, fourth quarterback. Um, you know, the the report on this year's draft class is the depth isn't good, and so can you flip a six round pick because you, you assume maybe you're not going to get a great prospect there? That's possible. I don't know. Does Dallas have a desire to trade Trey Lance? They just acquired him. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what their situation is there. So is he even available? Is right. the most important question of all. Um, but it makes sense. Uh, going back to Fields just briefly, Arthur Smith was at that pro day as well that Fields had. Granted, a lot of people were, including Mike Tomlin. There were some googly eye moments appeared between Tomlin and Fields. Uh, again, I stand by that they're not going to make that big change. Rooney's comment is notable, but all he, you know, all he said was we're not closing the door. Didn't mean right. we are walking through that door. It's just not that it's closed and that we're going to, you know, entertain and and have a. A, a broader view of, of how to improve this quarterback room. So just, and, you know, and roster in, in, in totality, really. I mean, we're, we're right. not closing the door on anything, you know? Right. Right. So um, no one should sit there and interpret this comment as, Oh, they're definitely going to be big players for Justin Fields. But again, it is notable that he didn't say no because he could have said no. And we all would have went, yeah, that's a, a reasonable answer that we probably would have expected. So um, th- there's a, there's a nuance and a middle ground to interpreting Rooney's comment. All right. Uh, so really, it's just a conversation piece to fill time right now <laughs> based on what he said, right? A little bit. I mean, it's certainly it got my attention. Listening to the interview, I went, OK, that's that's a notable thing there. And, you know, at least in Pittsburgh, a, a bit of a headline, but just don't re- react to it. I think it's important to react to and talk right. about it. It's worth talking about, but you shouldn't overreact to it either. All right. Uh, what else did uh, did uh, Art Rudy a second have to say? Talked about the Arthur Smith hire, that this was the first interview that Rooney had since the hire became official. When Rooney spoke last week, that was on Monday, the day before the reports came out that Smith was going to be the Steelers OC. Um, you know, talked about the experience and just said that Mike was comfortable with him. And we don't talk about Tomlin and comfort usually don't go together. He's anti-comfort. But Rooney saying there was some comfort there and then reiterating it was Mike Tomlin's hire in Arthur Smith. Uh, all right. And the next step for for uh, for Kenny Pickett, pull the old Matt Canada, score more oh. points. That's the goal for Kenny Pickett, and of course for this offense. I was doing some research, and I, I let me pull up the exact number. Not that it's a groundbreaking information, or I didn't burn the midnight oil to uh, to pull up this stat here. But uh, the last team to win a Super Bowl that did not have a top ten scoring offense that year was the 2015 Denver Broncos. Every team since then has been in the top ten in scoring offense. Uh, worth noting, the Chiefs were only 15th in scoring offense this year. So if they beat the 49ers on Sunday, they will be the first since 2015. But one obvious and loose correlation, but basically if you're not, not, not a top 10 offense, it is hard to win it all. Got to score more points, Alex. Yep, got to score more points. Do you think that Canada is going to coach in college this year? You think so? I, I think he probably takes the year off. I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, All right. Uh, uh, anything else there? For, or any other thoughts on the picket comment or any other uh, thoughts on Rooney's interview? No, no. I, I don't think there's really huge, huge takeaways, uh, you know, by him commenting on Kenny Pickett in the next step. Uh, look, I, I, I still think this team's, you know, first and foremost committed to Kenny Pickett. They would like to obviously get him backed up. Uh, he was asked about Mason Rudolph, same, same, same line of uh, answer there, basically saying, look, Mason's a, f- a free agent. We'd like to do business with him. We'll continue to have talks with him, but uh, he, you know, he, he's, he's not under contract right now. So we'll have to see uh, how that plays out. But uh, uh, I, I don't, 
yeah, I don't, I not no no huge earth shattering takeaways or or, or 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 expected pivots, at least for me. All right, yeah, same here, but still good to hear and uh, something to talk about here midweek, getting ready for the Super Bowl. So, anything else? Any other Steelers news that we're missing? Um, NFL honors is tomorrow on Thursday, and so we'll hear about T.J. Watts, Defensive Player of the Year, whether or not he wins. I do not expect him to win. I think Miles Garrett will get the award. Not saying that's right. Just what I expect. Joey Porter Jr., also a finalist for Defensive Rookie of the Year. I think there's a better chance that Porter wins than Watt wins, but I still would be surprised if either came home with a trophy. Yeah, I'm in that same boat right now, and uh, uh, I think Cam Hayward's out in Las Vegas, so we'll all wait and see if maybe if this is the, the, the year that he uh, wins the Walter Payton Award. Yeah, uh, well, that's true, too. Um, man, I sure hope so. Um, I Who knows, but uh, the man deserves it. Hey, you'd like to see one Steeler come away with something this year. Yeah. And, and, and as many years as he's been in the running for that. Uh, but I think he's been out and out at the Super Bowl the last couple of years. I, I think, uh, Cam Hayward has, and obviously hasn't won the award. So we'll keep our fingers crossed there for sure. All right, Dave, good time to take a pause and get together with our shrine bowl roundtable. Speaking with Joe Clark, Tony Calderon and Melanie Friedlander had boots on the ground for their time last week in Frisco for the 2024 Shrine Bowl. Get their input on uh, who stood out, who did not, and who could be Steelers fits. Let's take a pause and come back with the group. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And as promised, we have part one of our Steelers Depot Draft All-Star Game crew on this week. This is the Shrine Bowl crew consisting of Joe Clark, Tony Calderon, and our own Melanie Friedlander. Josh Carney was there as well. He could not make it for today's call. So hopefully we'll have him on sometime later in the offseason to get his perspective on the Shrine Bowl and the Steelers draft situation. I know for Joe and Mel, uh, you guys have been to the Shrine Bowl before, although that was in its old location of Vegas. It was in Frisco, Texas this year. Tony, first timer there. So great job. You guys did a fantastic job with the interviews, the practice reports, the overall coverage. Really, really appreciate the boots on the ground aspect there. Um, Joe, let me just start with you. We kind of talked about this before, but just, just a real, you know, lay the land question, the setup between Vegas and Texas, you said it was pretty much the same and I assume a really good experience overall. Yeah. So it was kind of nice, uh, in, when we were in Vegas, there were, I think three days of practice were at, um, uh, what's UNLV's practice facility, which is outdoor, which was fine for most days. One day it was pretty gnarly out. And then the fourth day, we had to travel into Henderson to go to the Raiders facility. Here it was nice, everything just at one venue out at the star. Um, the only kind of change that was a little bit different was you didn't really have like a designated room to do the interviews as you did in Texas. It's just kind of a hallway, and it was a little bit of a free for all, but we were able to make it work. We got a lot of talked to a lot of guys. Um, overall, I mean, Texas was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a good area, you know, a lot of things to do around there. So it was definitely, definitely a good. I think a positive change and one that I think that the Shrine Bowl is going to be sticking with going forward. Mel, how was your experience in this uh, new Shrine Bowl location? I got to say the folks that do the logistics of this do an absolutely incredible job. So, you know, even with the lift and shift, it was a very smooth week. Um, I will say we were very spoiled my first year in uh, 2022 because we had two days of practice at UNLV and two days of practice in Allegiant Stadium, which was very luxurious. Uh, that was probably our, our best experience. 
Um, but I'll tell you that the star at Frisco and Ford Center is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, great practice facility, I think, for the players and really convenient for us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, I thought they did a, a phenomenal job. And, and again, you know, kudos to Eric Galco and the the scouting department, because they really do an incredible job of getting a diverse array of players who are all very well deserving to be there. Sure. I think they've really put the game on the map. And Tony, your first time there. So just what was it like there for that that first outing? I think you did a great job. And I wasn't there personally, but from all I read and heard, you crushed it. So what was that experience like for you at the Shrine Bowl? Yeah, thanks, Alex. It, it was great. And going off what Mel said, uh, the way they had it set up was all very smooth. The access was unparalleled, at least from what I've heard of other college all-star games. Um they had interview sessions set up. If you wanted additional interviews, I just requested a few of those and they got back to me very promptly, had it set up for me very quickly. It was awesome just to be able to meet so many uh, interesting stories with guys at the Shrine Bowl. You kind of look at the the roster, right? Okay, a lot of a lot of day three picks, maybe some UDFA priority guys, but you, re- you really dig into each of these players and they all have, there's so many interesting backstories and backgrounds of these guys. All right, let's just dive right on into kind of yeah. the, the pl- players themselves. And we, you guys had to compile the winners and losers list of, of names from the Shrine Bowl. Everybody taking, I think, two names for each side. And Joe, starting with you, I think one of your top winners was Miles Murphy, the defensive lineman from North Carolina, Pittsburgh, potentially in the market for some D-line help. What stood out to you the most about Miles Murphy? Yeah, I really loved watching him in one-on-ones because he could just win in a variety of ways. He could win with power. He had a good array of pass rush moves, and then come the game, he did paid off. He got a sack. Um, he's got good size on tape. He kind of moved around to UNC two years ago. He had a really productive season. Moved around less in his production, kind of made him more of a two gapper and less of a you know guy with some pass rush juice. Um, and I just think that he could be like a very solid interior uh, defensive lineman, maybe a fourth, fifth round pick for the Steelers. He's got the size. He's got the juice. He's got the ability to take on multiple defenders, but he's also got the ability to get in the backfield. Just one of those guys who really stood out. I mean, overall, I thought it was a really strong defensive line group, but he was one of the few that really stood out above the rest. And Mel, on your list was someone that I had put in my my first Steelers mock draft in uh, Blake uh, Watson from Memphis. A bit undersized, but he had a good game. It sounded like he had a good week of practice. What stood out to you about Blake Watson? You know, what's interesting about Blake Watson is he didn't necessarily stand out at practice. And I think that was partly just because he was overshadowed by Frank Gore Jr., who really just had a phenomenal week of practice and, again, blew the game wide open early on. Um, But he was really impressive to me on a day-to-day basis. And in the game, you really saw the the value that he can bring to a team. He really was has a, has a very quick burst off the line when you look at the zebra technology numbers he that also shows that he's got a, a very good max acceleration so he was shifty with his footwork reliable with his hands and also like a lot of other best catch out of the backfield um and i know people wanted to see him run into the end zone at the end of the game but just really kudos to him for showing some football iq mm-hmm sort of slide into a kneeling position to run out the clock because in a real life game, that's what you want your running back to do. Yeah. Coaches will take notice of that. Dave, do you have any uh, questions for that? Yeah, uh, go ahead and run through the rest of them there with their, with their, uh, winner, you know, with, with their key winners there. And then I'll ask a specific okay. question about a position here. 
Sure. Tony, to, to go to you, kind of who stuck out the most to you in a positive way, maybe somebody that struggled more than you thought they would, or just somebody that didn't maybe meet expectations. That didn't meet expectations? Yeah, that and somebody who surpassed expectations. Kind of give me one gotcha. one standout and one maybe disappointment. Gotcha. Uh, I think my biggest standout of the event was Quantez Stiggers. He has a really interesting backstory to where he's never actually – really played a professional or college game on this size field. He started off in the fan controlled football league, which was, if you remember the league where uh, viewers of the live stream could vote on what plays teams would run. He was the youngest player in that league and uh, was right up there for defensive player of the year. Even getting some MVP buzz in that league. And then he went to the CFL where he played for the Toronto Argonauts was likely going to get cut from that team upon arriving at training camp, impressed a lot of scouts, uh, a lot of coaches there. And ended up winning uh, Outstanding Rookie of the Year, not just Defensive Rookie. They do it for both sides of the ball over there. And I'd say it took him from watching him at practice, maybe a third of a practice to adjust, you know, to the thinner field compared to the CFL. He's a, kind of a weird build for a corner. He's a little smaller, but almost stockier. Not quite that, that lanky build you see from a lot of guys coming out of, out of school here. Um, I believe he was the first ever professional player to play in the Shrine Bowl game over 99 years, which is which is pretty amazing. Thought he just had a great a great week of practice, really strong to the ball. I, I like the way he he kind of attacked attacked the ball at the high point, especially against a lot of these high major receivers. Um, on the other end, you know who disappointed? I think it was a real week uh, a quarterback group, or at least a real week showing from the quarterback groups. I think guys like you know Devin Leary was kind of supposed to be the star of of that group, and he definitely has the strongest arm and probably the the highest upside of those guys. Uh, but I just don't see him really reaching that upside at the next level. It seems like he was overthrowing a lot of his a lot of his short balls. Uh, it's it was definitely the success of the offense was more credit to the receivers. I think for a lot of the week and kind mm-hmm. of those one on one matchups, they were more making it work with the quarterbacks than the quarterbacks were making it work with them. Just quickly before I turn it over to Dave on Stiggers, do we know the story why he didn't go to college? Was it a financial issue? Was he a super light recruit? Does anybody know how he ended up with the, the fan-controlled league and then moved up, moved north to the, the CFL? Yeah, so he he had a uh, he had a death in the family right upon he he was he was a freshman at uh, I believe a, a JUCO or one of a, a smaller uh, institution, but he had he had a death in the family ended up you know causing some some issues and uh, didn't end up into playing football for, for that, that institution. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Dave. Uh, yeah. Lo- Yo, look, uh, I think uh, all of you here probably agree that there's a high probability that the Steelers will be in the center market. As far as this draft class goes uh, odds, you would think at least early on here will be that they address the position early in the draft as opposed uh, to late in the draft. However, if they do wait until, you know, and miss, you know, a couple of the top two or three prospects there, you know, it open up the, you know, to, to, to them p- p- potentially addressing that position later in the draft. Uh, what was the, who was the main standout overall uh, at center at the shrine? Bowl. I'm guessing it was probably somebody like uh, Hunter Nor- Norzad uh, out of Penn State. Uh, most of these guys look a little light overall, except for I think Jalen Sundle out of uh, North North Dakota State. But uh, you know, one or two or three of you uh, fill us in on 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 the center position at the Shrine Shrine Bowl. Yeah, so I watched centers and offensive linemen a lot um, throughout the week. Norzad was definitely a real standout. 
Uh, especially the second and third day of practice, he really held his own on one-on-one. He's got a strong base, generates a lot of power from his hips. Really, he, he was, had a really solid performance. I know Tony talked to him. Um, great, I mean, great, good, high-character guy. Um, he seemed like an awesome person to talk to, and he performed really well. Him, Dylan McMahon from NC State was another who stood out. Just solid under-the-radar performance for four days. And then the third guy who his performance might not have been as good as I would have expected going in was Matt Lee from Miami. He um he struggles. He's a little bit on the smaller size. He's I think he's around 290, 295 pounds. Um, so he struggles against some of the bigger, you know, plugging interior defensive linemen, but his leadership was off the charts all week. He's vocal, he's loud in practice. I talked to him. He had a great answer about what being a leader and what rallying the troops and all that, how much it really means to him. So in terms of a leadership perspective, um, I think if, you know, add some size, he could be somebody, but Norzad and McMahon were definitely the two um, real standouts of the center group this week. What what about Sundell? I mean, he's, he's a pretty big dude overall. It comes out of, you know, when you talk about what division, you know, the uh, North Dakota, North Dakota state, uh, what's that? Uh, at, what do they call it? F is it FB FCS? Uh, I guess, uh, I mean, that pretty prominent school overall when it when it comes to those, that, that that level of play. Uh, what were your over overarching thoughts on him? Yeah, Sundell only practiced for one day and then he shut okay. it down. Um, so didn't really get to see a lot of him. And he moved around, especially that first day. A lot of guys are moving all over the line. So he, and then I saw him take a snap at tackle. He was moving. He was moving all over the place. But um, he yeah he he shut it down after one day of practice, and that was that was it for him. All right. Uh, the other position, obviously, on the offensive line, going to get a lot of attention from us during the uh, during the pre-draft process is probably going to be the tackle uh, position. And, you know, if they go center early, when will they address tackle? If they address uh, tackle at all, uh, from my understanding, a couple of these guys really had some good weeks there. So uh, one of you one of you jump in on the tackle position here. You know, I think the person coming into this week with the most buzz was probably Garrett Greenfield um, from South Dakota State. And he definitely had an advantage in that, you know, teammate Mason McCormick, who's a guard, was there with him. Um, again, the first day, the the West team, which is the team they were on, was rotating them at every position. So you saw the tackles playing center and guard, and you really couldn't get a good handle on on what they could do. But as as the week went on and you saw them more in practice, you know, he's better in uh, Garrett. Garrett uh, Greenfield is better in, uh, I think, run plays than passing plays. Um, and he does have a little trouble holding his feet initially. But then when you see him in the Shrine Bowl game, I, I thought he really represented himself well. Um, I know Josh was very high on um, Caden Wallace from Penn State. And, you know, Joe, uh, Joe, I don't know if you want to speak a little bit more. He looked great in practice to me, but you could probably give more specifics. Is, is Greenfield going to have to shift inside six foot five and seven eights? I mean, that's, that's right at that kind of uh, uh, size, that you, especially 33 and a half inch arms, I think, uh, on, on on Garrett Greenfield. He might be a later round undrafted guy. I'm just curious if, if, if there was any buzz about him potentially moving to guard. You know, I talked to him about that. He spent his first two years at right tackle and then his second two years at left tackle. Watching his game film from college, I personally think right tackle is his natural position. Um, and I thought he looked better there in practice as well. 
I talked to him about shifting to guard and he gave me the answer that every player will give you in an interview, which is, I just want to help a team win and I'll play wherever they want me to. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't see him a lot at guard um, in, in team play. So I, I couldn't really speak to that. I think Caden Wallace out of Penn State's a little undersized too. He a little sh- little shorter, a little stockier. I think. Uh, 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 Joe, what do you have on 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 Wallace out of Penn State? Is is he a guard ca- candidate? I think he's. I think he can stick at tackle. He handled a lot of those you know quicker edge rushers pretty well around the edge, and he okay. did well against size. Um, I th- I mean he he played tackle at Penn State. Went up against some hogs in the Big Ten. Um, so I think I think he could probably stick at tackle. He was for me. He was probably the best offensive tackle um, of the week. Another guy that kind of stood out a little bit, had some flashes, was Tylen Grebel out of UCF. There's a couple of days he really caught my eye. Um, overall, I was kind of underwhelmed. I mean, I guess I have to stop going off. I mean, last year I was huge on Kadeem Telfort, big long arms. So I had the same kind of hopes going in this year for Neem Dankwa, but he just really struggled against size around the edge. Um, didn't end up playing in the game. I thought he would kind of had a really disappointing week. I think I know Josh might have had him on his losers list. Just somebody I w- was expecting a lot more out of and didn't get it. Um, Willis Patrick from TCU. He's a, he's he's a guard. He played pretty well. Um, but yeah, the the offensive tackle group was was a little light, but I think Wallace was really one of the guys that stood out. Greenfield had his moments as well. Um, but uh, of all the guys this week, I think Caden Wallace was for sure the biggest standout of the tackle group. Walter uh, Walter uh, Roos out of Oklahoma. What uh, seemed like there was a little bit of buzz about him uh, uh, ahead of ahead of the Shrine uh, Week, but uh, didn't really see his name too much during the week. Yeah, first day of practice, he got completely bowled over by Yabi Okianoma uh, out of Charlotte. He's a former top five recruit in the country, and after that, they told that group like, "Hey, you can't bow rush anymore because you don't want to, you know, make guys look bad." <laughs> So Yabi told he's like, yeah, we were told we were in a lot of bullish after that. Um, but he was okay. I mean, that, that was obviously like a big defining moment, seeing he's a huge dude just get put on his rear um by a just it was a very good bull. But um he 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 I mean he had his moments. He like he he won a few one-on-one reps, but he wasn't really didn't really stand out. I he's still a little bit sloppy with his technique. Um, I mean, he, he, he'd be an okay, like, you know, late round project, but he wasn't somebody that I was super, I walked out of the week, super impressed with who, who, who were the most, who would you say at, at, at this point would be draftable at, at, at some point of this tackle group, Tony, did you watch him any? Yeah, I watched uh, a lot of the guys they were saying I kind of agree with. I think Walter Rouse, even though he had a rough week, I think he's still probably draftable just based on – I don't think it helped the stock, but I think he was you know early day three going in, might be a late day three guy now. Uh, the only guy they haven't mentioned to I think is very likely to get drafted, and he didn't play at all, but is uh, Matt uh, didn't Didn't participate in any of the practices, but I will say the defense all week – was was you know very excited every time they make a play. It seemed like they had a real bond and a real unit on on the defensive side of the ball. Didn't see that as much on offense, except for Mac Goncalves. He was really hyping up, um, hyping up the uh, the West the West group there every time. You know the offensive lineman would would make a good play or hold the block in one on one. Definitely a vocal leader. I know we talked to Josh. Uh, I kind of overheard some of that interview. Huge Pittsburgh guy. Loves the city. Would love to play for the Steelers. I think he's definitely a name, especially with the local ties. You're going to see that uh, is tied a lot to the Steelers, kind of maybe with those two round four picks that they have this year in the draft. 
To flip over to the cornerback position, which I still see as one of those key needs up there with center and offensive tackle. Uh, Tony, let me stick with you, actually, to start with the cornerback group. Who stuck out there? Yeah, so Stiggers, I already talked about. Um, another one was Jarius Monroe, and I think he was overall maybe the biggest winner, had the most buzz coming out of the Shrine Bowl, just generally what I saw kind of kind of online. Um he actually saw, I did get to, to sit down with him. I requested to interview him after the first few days of practice because he just, you know, kind of blew me away with, with how, with how he was playing and, you know, uh, the way he was, le- his leadership ability on the defensive side of the ball. So he actually, he played corner in college and the day he kind of got to the shrine bowl, the day before the first practice said, Hey, you're going to, you're going to play a lot of safety here, uh, in practice at least. So he was playing a lot of safety. He was playing corner too. Uh, but he was doing a really nice job. You know, it, was, it seemed like oh, on the whole, the wide receiver group was a little stronger than the corner group here at the, at the Shrine Bowl. But I thought he was one of the exceptions to that rule. You know, really tough to beat in the one-on-one drills. Uh, extremely vocal leader. Was definitely kind of established himself real quickly as as one of the captains and the leaders of uh, of his defense. And uh, they have the Zebra stats now uh, technology. I, I'm not sure if it was the first year at the Shrine Bowl, but basically it tracks, you know, how how many yards a player travels at practice. And and he was, he was pretty comfortably the, the winner of the week. And that's kind of, I, I joked with him in my interview. Uh, that's how I knew the zebra technology was working because I assumed that he was going to be number one based on just watching him. And, and he, he was, he was on the, uh, on mm-hmm. the list there. So I thought he had a good week, had an interception in the game, obviously off, uh, off Austin Reed out of Western Kentucky, but I think he's a, a real interesting prospect and is, is going to see his name moving up in draft boards here. He comes off as a real smart guy as well, too, and breaking down that interception after the Shrine Bowl on top of it. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I didn't know anything about him going into the week and learned about him, uh, obviously, as the week and, and, and the game got here uh, and all. Uh, it sounds like they it's all going to depend on what he runs, but it, it feels like most people have him, have him slotted as in the NFL uh, as a safety. Is that kind of the takeaway with him? That's what it seemed like. Uh, he definitely didn't play just safety. He got a good amount of corner run in the game. You know, his interception was playing corner. Right. I think he kind of, I was asking about it. I think he is kind of okay with with either. I mean, obviously, as Mel said, that's the the question, the answer they're all going to give you. But I could definitely see, you know, a smart team utilizing him as a safety just because, as you said, I'm not sure what he's going to run at the combine here. That'll have a big, that'll be a big determinant of it. Joe, we know that Steelers are, quickly building a type at corner. They want height. They want some size and certainly some length. Two guys that on paper fit that bill, Roe Torrance from Arizona State and Mikey Victor from Alabama State. Any insight on how those two guys did? Yeah, so Victor was the one I was going to bring up. I thought he had a really strong week. He's the the perfect Steelers prototype. He's big. He's long. He was productive. He's actually, he told Tony, he's very close family friends with Terrence Garvin, uh, former mm. Steelers linebacker. So, a little bit of a connection there. His brother, Azeem, played at Washington. Uh, there's a special team in the NFL for a while, so he's definitely got the bloodlines, and I thought he had a really strong week. He batted away a few passes, played well through the ball, um, and he's good in press. Torrance didn't impress me as much. Um, definitely definitely a guy that got beat a couple of times that was pretty noticeable, uh, fell down once on a backpedaling on a route. Um, but I mean, he was, he was okay. He wasn't, he wasn't like a big loser or anything this week, but of the two guys that fit, you know, that Steeler big, long corner 
prototype that they went with last year. I thought Victor was the one that they could look to target somewhere in the late rounds and kind of add to that room if they don't. I mean, I think they'll go corner early, but if they want to take a second corner, mm-hmm. if Victor goes undrafted, um, he was definitely a standout for me this week. I thought he was an impressive player. Uh, exactly. Mikey, M- Mikey Victor, uh, for the listeners uh, out of Alabama State, uh, measured in it six foot two and a half, 212 pounds, 33 and a half inch arms, uh, nine and three eighths inch hands, and a wing wingspan of 80 and five eighths. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's long. I, I don't know how much Alabama State all 22 we're going to be able to find, mm-hmm. uh, or, or I think I got maybe two, uh, one or two games, TV games that I got to, that got to roll through. How, did, did any of you get to look at any of his TV tape or anything at all? Yeah, I watched a bit of it. I actually uh, sat down and, and interviewed with him too. Uh, you know, it's definitely tough to tell watching those guys kind of at the lower levels. And I think that's why it's such a good event for them. Cause you get, get those guys exposure to, you know, more of the bigger name wide receivers, but it was solid and impressed, like Joe said. He had a big interception first game of the season to uh, to beat Southern. Pretty good ball skills for someone of his size. Obviously, the agility is a little bit of a concern. Just I noticed kind of throughout the week. That's just how it's going to be there with those bigger corners against those quicker wide receivers, especially in the one-on-one drills where just everything's wide open. It's going to be tough to stick with those guys and be be super sticky in coverage. But I thought on on the whole, uh, his tape his tape looks pretty good. What 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 game was that, uh, Tony? Uh, the interception was against Southern, I believe, okay. their first game of the uh, year. Mel, who else made some waves in a positive way in the secondary? Because Pittsburgh, it's kind of all wide open. Outside corner, slot corner, potentially. Chandon Sullivan, a pending free agent. Patrick Peterson, future bit unclear. Strong safety could be a possibility as well. Any standouts really across the board when it comes to the secondary? Yeah, two guys that stood out to me. Uh, one was MJ Devonshire from Pittsburgh. And the other was uh, Tarib Still from Maryland. Um, you know, if you if you look at their measurables, uh, neither one really fits what Pittsburgh's looking for. So I wouldn't see them landing with the Steelers. Um, just pulling up the numbers right here. Uh, Devonshire, you know, 5'11", five, five, 179. Um, arms are 33-2A, so not terrible yeah. there. Um, and then still is is another smaller guy. Um, sorry, just pulling him up here. Yeah, again, like 5'11", 186, uh, wingspan, uh, 7248. So probably not ever going to slot into your what the Steelers look for article. Um, but both had, you know, good good speed, good agility, you know, always looked solid in, in one-on-one. Um, probably both, you know, very high football IQ guys tracking the ball. Um, not that Steelers would ever allow a defensive player to return the ball, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> they both got a shot at kick returns during practice as well. When you look at uh, edge uh, guys, obviously, you know, the Steelers seem pretty set at that position. It would be a bit surprising if they took a, a, a an outside linebacker type. Uh, you know, early. I mean, I, I suppose they could probably spend a late round draft pick on one, more, more than likely, maybe an undrafted there. But uh, uh, Mel, I had to chase down a couple of clips for you on Mo Kamara out of Colorado State, another guy I knew nothing about heading into that uh, week. And you know me when I when I when I get into TV tape, I oh look a squirrel. Uh, uh, I, I get I get 
you know, occupied very easily. And I started watching the game uh, that I was on. I think it was, who was it? San, was it San Diego state? I think was one of them. Uh, but anyway, six, six, uh, very under undersized, six foot one and three eights, 252 pounds, uh, 32 and a half inch arms. Uh, but when you look at him, even though he's undersized, they're very impressive as a pass rusher overall, put up good numbers there. I think draft scout who we get a lot of measurables and info from, uh, had him listed like, I think seventh round or, or potentially undrafted player. There's no way this, he, he goes undrafted. And I, I, I dare say that he might end up being a fourth or fifth round, uh, pick overall, but that had to be. Uh, your guy, I guess, coming out uh, you know, when, when looking at the edge candidates here, other than the guys like, I mean, the Murphy twins out of UCLA, obviously had a good week uh, overall. But uh, Kamara, tell us a little bit about Kamara. So I would say that the edge group was probably one of the most talented position groups at the Shrine Bowl this year. And you could go through their list and easily pick out a top five and all of them are going to be draftable, in my opinion. Um, Mo Kamara was somebody that caught my eye and the more I dove into his, I went down the same rabbit hole till about two in the morning one night, just could not stop watching his college games. Um, he's just relentless. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of hand use, you know, he's got good bend, gets around the corner. He's, you know, speed to power, but he gets to the quarterback over and over and over again, whether it's a quarterback hurry, uh, forced fumble, which he had two in college. Uh, 13 and a half sacks his final year at Colorado State. Third in the school's history for single season sack records, sandwiched between Joey Porter and Clark Higgins. So I thought that was kind of fun. Mm. Um, and he he just, it didn't matter where he lined up in college, you know, whether he was on the defensive line, whether he was on the edge. He has, you know, a good duck move where he gets under larger guys. So, yeah, he's undersized, but I really do think he'll be a factor when he's on the field. And I know that size-wise, he might not be what the Steelers look for, and that's not a position where they're going to spend a high draft pick, obviously, uh, particularly when they we see what they do in free agency. Um, and But I would love to see him in Pittsburgh, and I think he's just going to be a fun player to watch. Um, you know, the the other player that we all really like watching on the edge was uh, Yabi Okianoma, um, just a, a very powerful guy at first contact, um, had a good bull rush. As Joe mentioned, they actually had to ask him to stop doing it because he was so powerful. Interestingly, he told me he's ambidextrous. So, you know, he uses both hands well, and I think that's something that comes naturally to him. Um, and he was a little quieter in the actual Shrine Bowl game. Um, but I think he's someone that will probably be drafted uh, late second day as well. Charlotte product as well, too, like Alex Highsmith, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I went into once the uh, once the list was compiled and, and I, I was putting those sheets together for you guys ahead of the Shrine Bowl. Uh, one name that jumped out to me uh, as far as defensive linemen. Uh, went was where I lost my place here. It was Logan Lee out of Iowa, six foot five. I think initially they had him listed on, on, on one of those sheets at what, what was it like 298 or something like that. Uh, but he measured in at six foot five, even a 286 
uh, pounds, shorter arms than what, what, what I expected at 32 and three eighths. And, uh, I immediately kind of jumped on the tape there and it wasn't what I was, I was kind of expecting there overall. And I think you get into some of the one-on-one, a little bit of the ones, one-on-ones that, that, that I watched, uh, it wasn't what I expected, uh, at least on the tape aspect. How, what kind of week did he have? Joe, Logan Lee? Yeah, so I thought the first day of practice, he really flashed. He had a, I thought he had a good one-on-one that day. He looked really good in team. He was getting into the backfield. He slowed down throughout the week. Um, he's a converted tight end, so I think the weight's definitely going to be a little bit of an issue. I mean, I think he has the capacity to put it on, but he's definitely – he does not look like a defensive lineman. He looks like a tight end. He, like, he, even at 285, he is a – He's like a slimmer looking dude. Um, I will say one thing about him. He was one of the only players every day after practice. He stood, he was getting his reps in. He was working against air. He was running the 40. Um, I know he got a combine invite. So obviously some prep for that, but um, he's the type of guy. I mean, his work ethic was off the charts. Um, I agree with you. He, after the first day of practice, I seeing what his measurables were supposed to be. I was really, really excited about him. I know Tony had an interview with him, really liked him. Um, and then he slowed down definitely a little bit the last few days of practice. Didn't really pop as much. Um, I actually thought he had a pretty pretty rough day, uh, day two or day three. Um, but day one, you know, he was good. He's got his flashes. I just don't know if he can be consistent enough to put it all together to justify being, you know, a day two, early day three pick. But a later round, like round six, seven maybe, he's a guy I definitely wouldn't be opposed to taking a flyer on. Alex, who was that? Uh, I, I got – was it Ur- who was the, the kid Urban several years ago? Brett was it Br- Brent Urban? Brett Brett Urban. I, mm-hmm. I kind of got Brett Urban feels for for him because I think I even way back then noted you know felt like he's a little needed more sand in the pants. Right. <laughs> uh, overall, those short arms obviously aren't 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 going to help us cause pro- from from at least from a Steelers standpoint there. But uh, that was one guy on the defensive line that I I wanted to ask about. Go ahead, Alex. Well, I wanted to follow up with another D lineman that I have not learned much about. But again, Dave and I have been just trying to find those size profile guys that have the length and the weight and adequate height to play, you know, four eye, five tech potential. Wouldn't say Cam Haywood replacement, but somebody that can help add some depth as Haywood enters the final couple years of his career. That, that's Fabian Lovett from Florida State. He weighed in at 6033, 307, 34 and 5 eighths inch arms. So just from that profile standpoint, there's some intrigue there. I'll just open it up to all three of you guys because I don't know who watched him the closest, but any thoughts anyone talked to or any just information on uh, Fabian Lovett? Yeah, within two minutes of the end of the first practice, Josh points him out and goes, just look at those arms. I mean, he's a specimen to look at, but on the field, I will say he was probably one of the more disappointing players that mm-hmm. I was expecting to see so much out of because of you know that measurables. He just has no pastures choose. And one-on-one, he's really just got the long arm. And, I mean, the, the lineman there, I mean, d- despite how long his arms are, did a good job kind of locking him up. He didn't really win his one-on-ones at all. Didn't really make a lot of noise in team. Um, I definitely, I mean, physically, I think you get him, you know, get him in an NFL coaching staff. You can work with him. You can mold him. Maybe help him expand his pass arsenal. Um, but he, I definitely wanted more out of him, just given what he offers, just as a physical specimen. But on the field, I was definitely a little underwhelmed with his performance this week. Dave, that, our search will continue, I yeah, guess, for a defensive lineman. Yeah, that Zion Logue, he 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 ducked out, didn't he? What what was the issue with the Georgia kid? 
I think he had a turf toe. I think Mel talked to him. He had a mild turf toe. Um, so after the first two days of practice, he sat out. Um, but he he was he, he when he played, he was all right. He had some flashes. He didn't have a lot of production at Georgia, but I mean, it's Georgia. There's a million and ten dudes there who are just off the chart athletes. So kind of tough for you to really make a big splash. Uh, he was he was all right. He was again. He wasn't he wasn't bad. He didn't really stand out, but he he was a solid player. He's got he's got a, some size. He's got some strength. Um, I again he, he ducked out with a turf toe, so tough to really get a full measure with just a few days of practice on him. But um, I I didn't think he was terrible. He's he's somebody to continue to monitor throughout the process. Who who was? Uh, it, who, I can jump in here real quick. One thing to say about Zion Logue is that he you know he was sidelined with the turf toe the couple of days of practice, but. He was holding the play sheet, literally calling plays, practically coaching up his teammates in between uh, plays during team session. And he's got clear leadership skills and uh, watching him read the field and, and read the offense was really fascinating. All right. Who was the best defensive lineman, regardless of of, of, of position and size? Who, who was the best defensive lineman there? I'm going to go with Christian Boyd, I think, out of Northern Iowa. He had a push-pull swim move that he won with every single time he used it. Um, small school kid. I was standing around a lot of scouts who were watching him pretty closely. I know the Broncos are pretty, were pretty high on him. Um, but he his push-pull swim was incredible. Like it, and the, against the, He's an interior defensive lineman going up against guards and centers and one-on-ones. He was just cooking dudes. He was really, really fun to watch. Uh, made an impact in team, made an impact in one-on-ones, was really good, was really paying attention, sound individual drills. Um, so you have all like the interior guys. I would definitely say that Boyd was the one that stood out to me the most. Tony and Mel, any thoughts? I would, I would agree. Christian Boyd, hands down, every rep he did. I mean, he was just a dominant force, disruptive on the line. Um, you had mentioned uh, Grayson Murphy, of one of the Murphy twins. Uh, he was listed as an edge, but they had him on the on the D line quite a bit, and that's really where he played at UCLA. Um, and even though he doesn't have that size, um, he's just very dominant and disruptive on the line. Uh, won a lot of his one on ones during team and uh, individual drills, and really had a, a solid performance in the game as well. And it'll be interesting to see at the next level. Which one of the Murphys moved better? Because it wasn't Grayson. even, you know, it's interesting. They had two sets of twins and we'll talk about the other set when we get to wide receiver. Um, but with the Murphy brothers and I'll let the other guys ch- chime in. I thought that there was a, a clear disparity and that Grayson was the better player. All right. Both those guys probably because of their size and, and, and weight going to be looked at more, maybe more as uh, outside linebacker candidates and all. Uh, there, but uh, I don't know if one if 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 one of them can maybe put on I don't know 10, 10 pounds or so, maybe be a a defense or you know rush defensive end or something like that. So uh, they definitely both uh, you know you you definitely knew they were on the field during the Shrine Bowl game, that's for sure. Let's switch to receivers since Mel had just uh, referenced it. Uh, maybe less of a need now, as Dave and I have discussed with the Arthur Smith hire, but there's still certainly a good chance they're going to add to receiver, draft a receiver, especially on the outside. Uh, Josh Cephas was a guy that kind of stuck out to me a bit. Seemed like Pittsburgh had some interest in him. You got Bub Means, the local kid from Pitt. Tony, I'll begin with you. Just your takeaway from that receiver group and anybody that might have stuck out more than the rest of the pack. Yeah, I definitely think, at least Steelers-wise, things have changed with the hiring of Arthur Smith, just kind of not using that third guy as much, so definitely less less interested in that. But I think a few guys that stuck out to me, uh, number one, Cornelius Johnson out of Michigan. Um, a lot of good receivers were at the Shrine Bowl. Um, he was the only one who I felt like 
the only bigger receiver who really stood out to me. A lot of the other better receivers were, you know, under six foot and he's got some real, real good size, I believe around uh six foot two, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Six foot two um, and a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he ran really good routes for someone of his size. And, and I thought he was a big standout. Another one for me was, uh, Isaiah Washington, a little bit on the smaller side, but he was a converted quarterback. He played QB at Illinois, um, for his first two seasons, then ended up switching to wide receiver. I thought all around athletic ability, he's maybe not the fastest guy, but I thought he was the best all around athlete that I saw at the shrine bowl. He looked really natural returning punts. A lot of guys were struggling to practice returning punts. He was kind of offering tips, looked really comfortable back there. Uh, always seemed to win his one-on-one routes. I thought he was kind of a name with Malik Washington. There was kind of the big, the big name, but I think that Williams went under the radar a lot because of that. So those are, those are kind of my two standouts. Yeah. That Malik Washington, I dove a little bit into his tape, uh, undersized at five foot eight and, and, and one eighth, uh, you know, a little bit thicker though, 192, uh, pounds. Uh, but boy, he was, he was definitely a playmaker at Virginia. Was he, uh, was, was he one of the top, Top, I mean, was was he the top wide receiver there or no? Oh, in, oh, in my opinion, he definitely he definitely was. I think he was consistently winning winning one on one routes. Um, maybe I would put him in the argument for the best player overall at the mm. at the Shrine Bowl, at least from what I saw. Joe, I don't know if you agree. Saw you. Oh yeah, without a, yeah, he was he was a stud without a doubt. He was awesome. Uh him and Taj Washington from USC. They're smaller, but their ability to high point and adjust, like Tony said, not a good week from quarterback. There's a lot of poorly thrown balls. Taz Washington on one rep, uh, I believe it was against Beanie Bishop. He had a crazy just adjustment around the sideline, one-handed, got both feet in, was incredibly impressive catch. Um, so, yeah, him and Malik Washington were, I think, two of my big standouts. And then, like Alex said, Cephas had interest in the Steelers. He was a great route runner. I was really impressed with him. My only holdup with him with the Steelers is he did have uh, a DWI arrest in college, and I think there were some hangups. Uh, with that, like after the process, there are some issues I was reading about. But uh, so the off the field may be a little bit of a concern, but on the field, he was a dog. He was a late add to the process. Um, and always had the Hula Bowl. And he he was definitely he's a bigger receiver, could kind of fit that prototype now that they're not going to you know necessarily look for a smaller slot. Uh, he was definitely a guy ran his routes, was able to you know go up against similar sized corners and make plays. He was he was he was impressive. Uh, Mel, tell us about the twins out of South Dakota State. You were on one of them, I think. Uh, well, actually, both. But uh, if I if I had to pick one over the other, it would be Jaden over Jackson. Um, but you know, it's interesting. Unlike the the Murphy twins, they are so similar. I mean, Jaden caught my attention first just because he he lined up in the slot more often in college. Um, they're almost identical in size. They're they're both very similar in technique. Solid route runners. Good hands. I mean, you look at the zebra technology, they definitely uh, ran a ton of routes that got them nowhere thanks to these quarterbacks, because I think each one of them went about 14, 15,000 yards during the the course of three practices in a game. Um, You know, I was talking with Jeff Christensen on the sideline a couple of days. He's this quarterback coach guru. He is, you know, someone who's been working with Pat Mahomes since he came out into the NFL and Kirk, uh, Kirk Cousins and a lot of other quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, chatting with him, he actually coached up the two Yankee brothers, uh, from South Dakota state and the tight end, uh, Zach Hines from South Dakota state for about 15, 20 minutes after practice on two different days. So I asked him about that. I'm like, which of the two wide receivers do you think is going to be stronger in the NFL? He said, they're literally identical. He's like truly yin and yang. 
Um, I think they're probably going to hurt each other's draft status, and I could see them both going and undrafted. And not that they necessarily fit with the Pittsburgh Steelers look for, but um, I think they both remind me so much of, you know, last year's Jake Bobo, where, you know, a little slight, but they can still block. And I think they're probably going to wind up on an NFL roster somewhere. My sleeper pick of the week really disappointed me, which was uh, David White out of Western Carolina. He went to the Hula Bowl, got invited to the Shrine Bowl, um, really looked solid the first two days. Just, you know, nice route running, getting separation, really quick burst off the line. And then after two days of practice, he left town. So I don't know if he felt that he had shown whatever he needed to or if there was some other uh, personal issue he needed to attend to. Um, but that was someone I was really looking forward to seeing more of this week and just didn't happen. Who who was the most physical wide receiver there that you could that you could see coming in and 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 being you know like a Miles Boykin, maybe a gunner, you know, maybe somebody to be on kickoff team. Who who was the most physical uh wide receiver uh, 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 of the group there in Frisco? I might give that to to Bub Means, actually. Okay. Josh and uh, Tony or Joe think, and Tony. I'm sorry. I, I think Sevis's build could allow him to be that kind of Boykin type. Um, he's kind of, you know, similar body type. And I think he did get some run when they did a couple of special teams walkthroughs and stuff to tell. Cause I don't really do a lot with special teams. Right. Um, a lot of like the full team special team sessions, they just use the jugs machine. So it's just kind of tough to really get a gauge, but I think he was getting some work in there and, Given his build, and I think he, you know, he, I, I watched a little bit of his tape. He was solid blocker for a receiver. Um, so yeah, if, if they're looking for that sort of guy, he could definitely be a fit, and he could contribute you know, a little bit in the passing game as well. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's either Cephas or Cornelius Johnson again, again for me. I think those are the two bigger guys that kind of stood out um, as pretty capable on the outside. Mel, let me come back to you, and uh, I'll ask the other guys as well, but let, let's play a game called Can We Say Anything Positive About the Quarterbacks in Frisco, Texas? Because I know it sounds like it was a pretty poor week overall for the group, but any anything positive to take from those guys? And then talk about, I believe you spoke with Jordan Travis as well and his prognosis from his leg injury last year. Uh, where's he at in his recovery? And uh, just what was it like? And I think, I think you spoke with him. I did. Yeah. So I'll start with Jordan Travis because I can say the most positive things about him. Um, so uh, for those who don't know, uh, Jordan Travis uh, plays for Florida State and he really was a, a dominant force in turning that program around. Uh, he got injured late in the season when they were 11 and 0 and they finished 13 and 0. Very controversial that uh, without their quarterback, um, they were not invited to the college football playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a fairly gruesome injury when you saw it on tape. His foot sort of went sideways uh, from his lower mid leg. But in actuality, I think it wasn't as horrific an injury as it could have been. He reported it as a, a fibula fracture and the fibula of the two bones being the one that supports the lower leg less. Um, so he was walking around in a boot. He was tossing the ball a little bit on the sidelines. And when I talked to him, he said he's hoping and expecting to be 100 percent by May. Um, but is still planning to do a pro day uh, sometime in mid-April where he's not going to run a 40, but he thinks he'll be able to move around well enough that he can show that he can move in the pocket. Um, and he will be attending the combine just from an interview and, and uh, physical standpoint. Right. Um, so he's certainly one to watch. Um, 
as far as what can we say that's nice about the quarterbacks, it was, I mean, it was just a rough group. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I think if if we're going to comment on anyone, you know, Talia Tagovailoa was the best of the bunch. Um, I can't see him knocking the world out in the NFL. It's just an undersized guy. He's not going to be the next Drew Brees. Um, when he's good, he's good. You know, he he sometimes looks, you know, so composed in the pocket and he can stand up under pressure. Uh, he's just really just, you know, his, his accuracy is not consistent. Um, and you saw him make that beautiful long pass to uh, Jane Yonke. I think it was probably early in the second quarter of the Shrine Bowl. And you're like, that's the guy I wanted to see. And then there are other times where he throws it to literally no one. And you're like, what was he thinking? Sure, sure. Joe, same question to you about the quarterbacks, maybe more specifically on Devin Leary. You guys mentioned the biggest arm there. Give me some other just kind of details on his game, the positives, the uh, weaknesses, et cetera. Yeah, so the I thought Leary was – he. I thought he was all right. I thought – I mean, he throws the ball so hard, which a lot of times is kind of a detriment to him. He would throw a rocket on like a three-yard dig route. And, I mean, he throws a good ball. He's got a decent arm. Um, but again, I mean, like all the guys there, his accuracy was spotty at times. Um, but, you know, the spin he gets on the ball, I think he's probably the most likely of that group to have NFL success for sure. Um, I mean, you know, you're not, you're not working with a lot, especially like as a quarterback. You don't get to see a ton in practice. Um, it's really just one-on-ones um, for, you know, receiver quarterback teams, a lot of just like quick short routes. So the guys don't really take a lot of chances downfield and i think that's kind of intentional and by design but the speed he puts on the ball is very impressive um i mean obviously a lot of success at nc state and kentucky uh, i know uh tampa bay just hired liam cohen who was his offense coordinator at kentucky i know mm-hmm. that they've been speculated as a fit for him there um but yeah i mean i thought i thought he was he was the best quarterback there which again not saying a ton um, I mean, him or, or Tagovailo, Tagovailo obviously flashed a lot in the game. Uh, but yeah, those, those those two guys. And then John Reese Plumlee, I thought he had good movement in the pocket in terms of just saying something nice about another quarterback. Um, yeah, no, I mean, Leary, if you look at the zebra tracking, he was the most impressive of the quarterbacks and, you know, those sort of metrics. So uh, definitely, you know, an NFL fit. He's a guy who's got to get drafted. Uh, just a matter of, you know, finding the right fit for him and developing him a little bit. Was the off-the-ball linebacker group at this year's Shrine Bowl top to bottom the best position group uh, uh, overall? Uh, I know there was a lot of buzz, I think, about Edger and Cooper from Texas A&M heading into this. I know Josh, I think Josh did a uh, uh, profile on Steel Chambers out of Ohio State. Uh, A couple of you talk about the the off-the-ball linebacker group and, and, and was it the best group, you know, uh, position position group this year? I think Edge was probably the best position group. Okay. Um, if Cooper played, he he didn't he didn't play all weekend. Participate if he played off ball linebacker, I think definitely would have taken the cake. But there were definitely still some standouts uh, of that off ball linebacker group. Darius, uh, I'm not sure exactly the principles. I think it's Musau out of UCLA. Uh, first day of practice, Tony turned to me. He goes, "I he's like I think he's got a little bit of a Landon Roberts in his game." He's downhill. He's, he was physical in practice. He can't really be that physical, but he was physical. He's vocal. He's a leader. I know he made some plays in the game itself. Uh, Aaron Casey from Indiana, same thing. Dallas Gant out of Toledo, really nice hips. He was really impressive in coverage. And then um, Steel Chambers and um, 
what's his name? Curtis Jacobs from Penn State were both, you know, pretty solid guys. Chambers, you know, he's got he's got an awesome attitude. He Josh, when I know when Josh is interviewing, he turned to him, he goes, he goes, he is, let me ask you a question. He goes, Me and you both have a sword. What four animals would you pick to go into battle with? Who do you think would win? And it was just a crazy question. It's just like <laughs> his mindset is just he's he's got a dog mentality for sure. Um, so he was definitely a guy that uh, I think stood out a lot this week as well. Go Tony, ahead, any thoughts? Well, I was going to ask oh, Tony okay. if you had any just quick thoughts on the off-ball linebacker group. Yeah, maybe the biggest standout to me, Joe already mentioned, was uh, Steel Chambers, though. I thought he looked really athletic kind of in these one-on-one drills against these running backs. Uh was really sticky in coverage there, and he's got, you know, enough – Enough, I think, to help out in the in the run game as well to to be a to be a good asset. I think he's definitely an option for the Steelers late here. A rough idea of where he'll go. Is he a mid round kind of guy? I don't have a good feel for his draft stock. Yeah, I think he's probably like a fourth, fifth rounder. I would say right now. Okay, Dave, were you going to say something? I uh, just uh, how did how, did he look slight at all? He was, I know he's, I know he's listed at two twenty three. How, how did how did he look physically? I mean, he's built. He's he's definitely he's he's a thick two twenty three. But uh, he, I mean, yeah, he's a little bit on the small. A lot of the linebackers were pretty slight. I will say Musao Mongum. I know he's uh, he's listed. He's five eleven. I think he's got some decent weight on him. But like in terms of appearance, a lot of them didn't just didn't look that big. One guy in particular that I actually thought had a good week. Another one that, that you look at him and you're like, oh, this guy's like way too small for the Steelers. But he popped and he got Wisconsin connections as uh, Moomin Young Meta out of Wisconsin. But I mean, in general, I just thought the linebackers were were a little bit tiny, uh, just looking at them in person. But you know, they, they, their play translates well. They they play bigger than you know what they might be listed at. It's Chambers in particular. So um, I mean, it's definitely a concern, but I didn't really hinder him at all this week. Who was the best? Who, who was uh, Musal? Was he the one you compared to Landon Roberts? Yeah, I th- for me, I think he might have been the best off-ball linebacker there, just in terms of his leadership. He was, you know, like Tony said, defense was always getting after it. He was one of the guys leading the charge, always talking, leading, rallying the troops, and just quick, got downhill, was able to get in the backfield a couple of times and team to, you know, blow up a run play. Um, saw just solid play. He was a guy that impressed me a lot this week. And that lack of size linebacker just reflective of the college game, right. the speed element, the horizontal passing game, the athletic tight ends, you know, safety's getting moved to linebackers. So it's hard to find that 245 pound linebacker in this day and age. My last question, and this one's going to be for Mel, then I'll let Dave uh, close things out. And we just thank you guys so much for the great insight here and the great reporting and interviews. It really is a big lifeline uh, to, to Dave and myself. And I think everybody listening and reading the site, but Mel, you are just an ace when it comes to the sleepers. Isaiah Pacheco, you were talking about a couple of years ago. He's going to be in the Super Bowl this weekend. Jake Bobo, last year, he's carved out a nice rookie year with Seattle. So you have that that eye for that kind of late round sleeper type. I'm going to make you call your shot again on somebody. And you've mentioned probably some names already, but who is kind of your, your Mel sleeper of the Shrine Bowl? All right, here it is. And if the Steelers take him, I'll be super happy because I'm still mad at them for not taking Pacheco. Um, Running back Isaac Barendo out of Louisville. Um, I am still not over the fact that he only played like a few snaps in the Shrine Bowl game because he impressed me every single day at week, uh, at practice rather. I mean, he's... uh, a good size running back. I mean, I could pull up his measurables real five, quick. Five, five, 11, three quarters, 220. Thank you, sir. Um, 
you know, he's got quick burst off the line. He can, you know, run up the middle of the field. He's he's good bouncing to the outside. He can catch the ball reliably out of the backfield. Um, he can block and pass protection. He reminded me a lot of Jalen Warren in the way he finished every single rep. Um, he practices as hard as he plays. And he's someone that I really enjoy talking to. Um, I will be writing his interview up. Um, he's my sleeper of the week for sure. He, he's one of the older ones there, isn't he? Uh, he played five years in college, so he would yeah. be a little bit older. Yeah. Okay. He's got a lot of experience at the college level. That's for sure. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So there you go, Dave, any final questions for these guys as we kind of uh, close things out? Yeah. Who, who was the best, uh, box strong safety there? I would probably, I'd probably go with, um, Gadrian Taylor Emerson. I think he's out of Texas tech. He, you know, got kind of all over the field. Uh, he, I mean, he covered pretty well too. Got in the slot. Um, you know, solid, solid player all around this week. Uh, of of the safety group, he was really one of my standouts. I think. Um, uh, another guy that I thought looked okay, and I, I know Mel kind of said beforehand, maybe some Terrell Emmons vibes was uh, Mark Perry out of TCU. Um, not, not, you know, a continual, a consistent standout, but definitely had some flashes. Um, in terms of being good, you know, a good box guy, I think he's he's definitely a potential fit. All right, I'll, I'm gonna put him on the spot here, uh, Alex. To, uh, just three of them here, put him on the spot here. Uh, each of you name related to you know the, thinking the Steelers might have you know they might be fits in Pittsburgh with the Steelers. Each of you name five players that got you got to watch the tape uh, on uh, uh, over these next couple months. Each of you name five players you think could be potential Steelers fits that uh, Dave and Alex absolutely got to throw the tape on uh, to do further work on Joe. All right. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Musau. I think, um, like I said, you know, you landed Roberts in his game. I think he's probably a fit. Treon Jeffcoat, the edge of Arkansas. Uh, he's got the size. The Steelers look for on the edge, had a good week of practice. He's a really high character guy. Um, I talked to him this week. He was just talking about like, you know, his work in the classroom. He's a, He's like, yeah, I have a fear of ignorance. So he's the kind of guy that, you know, studies the playbook, eats up. Uh, Sam Pittman loves him, the Arkansas head coach. Watch a couple of interviews where Sam Pittman's like, I, he reminds me of myself uh, just in terms of his work ethic and his attitude. For slot corner, I'm going to go Beanie Bishop. He's a small guy, but he's got really good ball skills. He played 95% of the snaps at West Virginia. Um, I'm going to write something up on him this weekend. I talked to him for probably 20 minutes. He talked about, you know, the importance of taking care of his body. What he learned, he's a two-star recruit. Um, he talked about, you know, being really hungry. He's like, I want to be on the field as much as possible because somebody wants to come. They want to see Beanie. I'm not going to, you know, have them lose out on that opportunity. He's like, I, want, I do this. Like, I love the game, but I love the fans, and I want them to, you know, have the best experience and see me. And he was he was an All-American this uh, season. Um, another edge I'll throw out is Salmon Bird out of USC. Again, good size. Um, I watched the edge group a lot. Receivers, I'll go Josh Cephas. Uh, I think that gives me four. I, mean, I talked about Cephas a lot, but again, right. good size, fluid route runner. And then um, the fifth, give me – I'll go Mikey Victor because he fits the cornerback prototype. Um, long, good, good in coverage. I thought, he, I thought he was impressive throughout the week. So, yeah, th those I think would be my five right now. And just, just for a sixth, just in case they go guard – a guy we haven't touched on at all, but I thought was a real standout this week. 
I think I wrote that he's kind of, I think he'd be my Drew Scruggs. Like last year, had a good week at the Shrine Bowl, good week of the combine, became a second round pick. Is Mason McCormick out of South Dakota State? 6'4, I think he's 315, 320, something around there. I thought he was awesome all week. He locked up defenders, really good hips, really good, really good power, just fluid mover at guard. Um, one, definitely a very impressive player that I wanted to touch on a little bit. All right, Joe strung that out pretty good for your other two, for you other two to to to, to rattle off your five. Mel, rattle off your five real quick. Well, I'm mad at Joe because his number six was going to be one of my five. But I'm <laughs> All right, it, it can be. It, it <laughs> so still can be. I, I got to echo what he said about Mason McCormick, and we're running up against the clock, so I won't go into too much detail. But the good thing about watching college tape on Mason McCormick is there were five guys from San Diego, uh, South Dakota State, at the Shrine Bowl. So when you watch Mason McCormick's tape you actually get more bang for your buck. Even though the Steelers are not looking for a tight end, the tight end group was pretty darn solid this year, and I almost wish we were. So while you're watching Mason McCormick, also take a look at uh, South Dakota State, Zach Hines. Um, He's got size, he can block, he can catch. um, Certainly someone worth looking at. I got to go running back because we still think the Steelers are going to take a third running back at some point. Um, I'm still banging the table for Isaac Borendo. But if you're looking for other players, I would go right back to Blake Watson. I just think he's a fun player to watch. Um, and also think about Jacob Cabote out of Louisiana. He was a late ad. I think he showed up on day three of practice um, and still impressed in practice and still impressed in the game. I think that's four for me. So I got to come up with one more. God, I really like this wide receiver group. I just don't see the Steelers taking any of them in the draft. Um, and so... You know, I, I got to go with uh, Solomon Bird out of USC. Um, he's at USC. He was called a rush end. He can line up anywhere. Very similar to Mo Kamara. Um, he's got better size. He's got phenomenal strength. Very mature player. He's married. He's got two kids. Um, he's a leader on the defense. And he's a very interesting player to watch. All right, Tony, bring us home with your five. All right, so I'm going to go first off. Uh, I didn't really get a chance to touch on the quarterbacks, but I think the most likely guy that the Steelers end up with from the Shrine group is actually Austin Reed out of Western Kentucky. Uh, it seems to me like they're going to go Pickett, a veteran, maybe Mason Rudolph, maybe an outside guy, and a rookie in the QB room uh, next year. And I think that while Leary maybe has a little bit of a higher ceiling, I think the most likely guy out of that group to be, you know, a carve out an eight, 10 year career as a backup is Austin Reed, uh, very accomplished at Western Kentucky. I think he has, has pretty good tape. Didn't look great in the Shrine Bowl game, but I think he'll be relatively cheap draft capital wise, especially compared to these other guys. Uh, I think stiggers, I talked about him, but I think he's another big one, Dave. I'm sorry. I don't know how available all 22 CFL tape is, but <laughs> if there's anything out there on him, uh, I'll try would be, would be good to watch. Uh, he's I'd another probably one. Get, I'd probably get the TV tape, but pro- probably not the all 22. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll say Isaiah Williams as well. I, I also think, like Mel said, it's unlikely to take a receiver, but I think he offers a little more special teams value than the other guys. So I think that that's kind of a, an interesting, interesting proposition there. I'll go Logan Lee, um, big Steelers fan as well. I got to sit down and talk to him uh, at Iowa. Actually, he they ran, run a weird system there with Ferenc. So D linemen kind of more of their job is just take up two of the offensive linemen and just command those double teams. Ended up. Uh, Iowa had the leading tackler in the nation and another guy in the top 30. So he's definitely played an interesting role. So his tape might look kind of different than someone who played in, in a different, a different scheme in college. 
And then one more. I'll go with let's do let's do Jarius Monroe as well. I think he's gonna be he's gonna be a big riser, and I think uh Steelers are definitely in the market for a corner, maybe multiple in this draft. So I think he could be so he's gonna land somewhere between the fourth and sixth rounds when it's all said and done. So Steelers got three picks in that range. Uh maybe maybe take a shot on him. All right, no more questions, Your Honor. Kazora. <laughs> All right, guys. Fantastic information. Again, we thank you so much. We'll try to get Josh Kearney on a little bit later here. This draft season couldn't make it today, but uh, he did a great job, too, down in Frisco, Texas. So, Joe, Tony, Mel, really appreciate you guys very much. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, just, just tremendous coverage this year. Yeah, well, thank you. It's- I want to thank you guys for the opportunity, as always. This is my third year at the Shrine Bowl, and it honestly just gets better every year. So, uh, thanks for giving us the chance to represent you and, and cover these amazing players. Yeah, I echo Mel's sentiments. It was my second year, better than the first year. It's a blast every single year. I love it. I can't thank you guys enough for the opportunity to go and cover it and get to know some of these guys a little bit better. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, incredible opportunity. I try to keep up with uh, these two veterans, and I, I hope I did that to the best of my ability. But uh, uh, really appreciate Alex and Dave, you guys uh, letting us go cover. It was a really cool experience. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. Again, our special thanks to Joe, Tony, and Belny for their insight. Fantastic roundtable. Learned a lot just from that hour conversation there. Be sure to follow the crew on Twitter, Joe Clark, at jclark1233. Tony uh, on Twitter, at tcalderon11, that's C-A-L-D-E-R-O-N-E-1-1. And Melanie Friedlander on Twitter, at girlsurgeon. Great information there from the group. Absolutely. And uh, obviously, Joe and uh, Mel uh, experience uh, doing this. I, I was really impressed with that. That's Tony's first time on on, on the podcast there. And I uh, uh, thought he uh, represented himself really well. And I'm fixing to head up to uh, to Boston here in a couple of weeks to uh, to visit with both uh, Joe Clark and Tony. So I look forward to spending uh, time with them and, and learning more about these prospects. And look, this is it's so overwhelming because as Alex and I talk every year, you know, we, we were all in on the Steelers until the Steelers are out of it. Uh, and obviously it extended a week with the playoffs this year. And then you turn around and these, uh, these all-star games are on you. And I get to somewhat cheat ahead of Alex because I, I set up all the, uh, you know, the informational sheets, if you will, that have, you know, links to bios and, and measurables and all like that, that I, that, that I get for, uh, everybody ahead of just so they'll, they'll have easy at, 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 at their fingertips kind of information. So I kind of get to cheat a little bit and look at some of these things and, and, and it's overwhelming. Like, like we've said several times and you learn a lot in these, uh, uh, starting with the with the All Star games, and then like the two weeks after it, especially when you have these roundtables uh, like this, because obviously we're we're not there. Well, sometimes you are there, but you weren't this year. Uh, but it gives us the ability to learn through their eyes uh, right out of the shoot there and then make our own decisions of what holds to go down and and and, and deeper dive there. So uh, it really is a great tool. Uh, look, we love passing along the information to the listeners, and and that's obviously what it's designed to do. But uh, it, it 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 it's a huge plus for guys like uh, Alex and myself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, I literally learned as much in that last hour as I probably did during the week because there was the Arthur Smith news, there was mm-hmm. the Art Rooney news, and I was so kind of consumed by that it was hard to really lock in on what was happening. 
uh, at the Shrine Bowl. So I want to thank those three. And we'll get Josh Carney on hopefully a little bit later here in draft season to get his thoughts as well. Uh, Dave, I do want to get to some reader emails because we didn't get to, to get to many of them on Monday. But I want to mention one more thing I thought was really interesting. If you're on the site, check out the study that our Clayton Eckert posted uh, late last night. It was really interesting. Kind of opened my eyes looking at some of the metrics and uh, type of runs that, you know, the run scheme that Pittsburgh has had, the run scheme that Arthur Smith had in Tennessee, and some really interesting data on Najee Harris, I thought, the last two years on outside zone runs, according to Clayton's numbers via SIS. Harris is averaging 4.3 yards per carry on outside zone. That's better than his inside zone metric of 3.9, better than his duo metric of 3.5, um, and only bested by his power run metric of 4.6 yards per carry. And, and actually, Jalen Warren was worse on outside zone runs at 3.7 yards per carry. Now, there's still context needed, and we don't have run success rates and those types right. of things. But uh, just from that kind of standpoint, the numbers off the top suggest that Harris may have more success as an outside zone, wide zone runner than maybe I initially thought. Yeah, and yeah, that that was kind of eye popping, or like I like I said these last couple of episodes uh, as well too. They 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 actually have run more outside zone these last two seasons mm-hmm. than than what I what I remember. Now, obviously, we're we're at the mercy of of uh, of SIS, you know, tabbing these things right and and all like that. And I'm sure there's some mistakes in there, but I I, I think as a whole, uh, you know, my main takeaway is they they ran it a little bit more than or really probably a lot more than what I, I, I remember off the top of my head these last two years, especially two years ago. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the success that Najee has had uh, was, was a little bit eye opening. And look, we, 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 we don't know to what degree Arthur Smith percentage wise is going to run uh, the outside zone, but I, I would, I would expect it to be right up there to the top two uh, schemes when it when it's all said and done there. So uh, and look, you got you got kind of a thunder and lightning situation. One better, seemingly better, running that outside zone. Uh, one in Jalen Warren, you know, uh, uh, better uh, inside zone, and 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 perhaps duo and all like that. So just you know, another piece of the puzzle to look at there. Yeah, and again, there's still some context. If you talk about you know goal line short yardage, maybe your duo run yards per attempt gets hurt because when you're mm-hmm. running a dive on third and one, you're not getting you know seven yards. You know, usually outside zone, you're not going to run that in short yardage. Maybe it's a first and ten, second and seven kind of run where you have a better chance for just some more space. But still, good data. I thought the other takeaway was you saw a lot more variation in Pittsburgh's run scheme in Tennessee with Arthur Smith. It was kind of a little bit more dialed in and focused on some key core concepts that can be good and bad, depending on the situation that you're in. Um, And I'm sure uh, Clayton will talk about the Atlanta time with Arthur Smith, Mm. just kind of for the ease of getting some data and kind of piecing this thing together. He just focused on Smith in Tennessee in 19 and 20. But again, the numbers on, on Harris, I thought, you know, over the last two years were, were, were pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, good, good deep dive for him. And if you get a chance, stop by the site that went up at, uh, I think, midnight last night. So mm-hmm. you should, should, shouldn't have uh, any, any, any tough problems finding it. And check out some of the studies our Jeremy Pike has done. Gotten some really good feedback there. Some interest on Kenny Pickett, his start, and how that stacks up to historical starts. And, you know, Kenny Turner's career round. And I think he's got some other uh, articles coming as well. So it's been some some really good deep dives on the site, I think, the last week or so. Absolutely, there have. We appreciate all the hard work people have been putting in on that. All right, you ready to get to uh, some of these reader emails? 
Yep, let's get to some reader emails and close out today's show. All right, this one just popped in about 15 minutes ago from uh, Joe Winkler. Uh, that's a new name. I don't, I don't remember getting an email from Joe before. He says, hey, guys, love the show. Did you happen to see the attached article in Tuesday's Wall Street Journal about how effective the 49ers tight offensive formations have become? They do the opposite of the spread formation and have more success out of the tight setup. The Steelers are listed in the middle of the pack among playoff teams this year that use the tight formation. Do you think this is something Arthur Smith will employ? I have... Uh, uh, thank you, A, for including uh, that article. I did not have a chance to read it before coming on the show. I will read it, but uh, I think we've talked a little bit already about you know, the Steelers' use of uh, – oh, we forgot to mention those two tight ends uh, that uh, they worked out as well, too. One of them, former – both of them have links, I think, to uh, to Arthur Smith. We'll mention that here in a minute here. But I, uh, you know, obviously, we think that this this team is going to use heavier personnel groupings. Uh, I think one of the things that you put in the big book on Arthur Smith was the uh, length of formation, right? Yeah, the the condensed sets, the the width of the formation. I didn't have at the time great twenty twenty three data, so if that article has it, then I'll certainly take a look. But based on twenty twenty two, twenty twenty one, generally speaking, Pittsburgh had some of the wider formations. You know, utilizing kind of spreading the field out pre snap more than most teams. Atlanta, one of the tighter sets around top five, top seven tightest, and that and that kind of comes from that. You know, Matt Lafleur, Shanahan. Uh, background where Smith has dabbled a bit, you know, coaching, working alongside LaFleur in 2018 when he was at the OC in Tennessee, LaFleur was. So, um, yeah, I think the hallmark of this offense, and I just, I was going through some Falcons tape last night, you're going to see that formation kind of condense and tighten up and uh, have much more reduced splits for the receivers uh, than you've seen in Pittsburgh. Joe, I appreciate you uh, sending that to me, and he's got the whole PDF uh, article here. Alex, I'll forward that to you as well to uh, have, you know, can't comment on it because obviously he, he, neither one of us uh, have read it, but uh, man, I certainly do appreciate Joe uh, forwarding that along yeah, to thank us you, here. Uh, Nick writes in, Alex and Dave, it's crystal clear that Presley Harvin is not the Steelers' long-term answer at punter. We all know they will be bringing in some outside guys to compete for the job. Why not take a, a swing at Matt Ariza instead of drafting another punter? He says, I've watched some highlights and he's got a boot, he says. I know he was involved in some serious allegations, but at this point, no charges have been filed and he appears clear of any wrongdoing. Would it kill the Steelers to bring him into camp on a cheap veteran deal? Looking forward to all the draft content, Nick uh, Shuley writes in. Uh, Nick, look, I mean, yeah, I remember that guy, the punt guy. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, uh, going back, you know, obviously a couple of years ago there, I guess, uh, look, I mean, am, am, am I opposed to bring in uh, numerous amounts of legs uh, during the off season? Absolutely not. Uh, it does make you wonder what even at, and I, I've loosely followed the, uh, the off the field stuff with him and, and what all has transpired. I, I, I think so far, you know, it doesn't, he's still unsigned though. You know, uh, right. I, uh, I wonder why that is I have because a, of his college tape, you know? Sure. I have a, a, a theory of why that is. Um, I, I, my guess, and it's just a guess it, it, it's twofold. A, 
he's never punted in the NFL in a regular season game. So it's not like he's this all pro guy that's been proven. There is a bit of unknown to his game. Although, as you said, he was a, a, a wicked good punter at San Diego. Uh, was it San Diego state? Right. He was an Aztec. Right. Right. He right. went to college. I think the other reason for why he's been unsigned, even after these charges were dropped and, and the allegation really kind of fell apart was if you sign a Matt Ariza, the headline's not going to be you sign Matt Ariza. It's going to be you sign Matt Ariza, who was, you know, had charges dropped or allegations dropped of rape and gang rape and, and, and that whole allegation there. And I think teams for punter, especially just don't want to have that headline, even though the charges were, I think were, were dropped and the allegation fell apart and does not seem to be true. And that's, you know, unfortunate for Ariza because apparently he's done nothing wrong here, but I think for teams, you know, for a punter, you bring that guy in that's going to come with still some baggage, even though the allegations uh, were apparently false. So that again, not saying that's fair, but I, I just think that's the team's calculation of it's not worth it for a punter to come in when you're going to have all those still headlines, references and storylines that, that are going to come along with it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of where I was going. There was, is, is, you know, for someone that had such a great leg and was touted so much, uh, even at this point, cause we've been a couple of weeks removed now from that news. Haven't we on him it's Been months? I think. Since okay. It's been a long time. It's been, been a while at least, you know, you, you would think, you know, why, why wouldn't he have signed a futures contract with somebody? Uh, or is he just, or, or maybe, maybe teams are after him. And he's just waiting to see how things pan out, but you would think he'd want to get a, get, get on a team sooner rather than later. So the only, the only way I can answer that question is with another question would be, why why has no team signed him yet you know yeah my guess is he's not waiting i'm sure he would sign for anyone who would give him the opportunity um that you know again this is just the, the cold reality of it if you're a star wide receiver and you have these allegations and you've proven it in the nfl and you can really really make an impact for your team teams are gonna overlook the allegations and the baggage to come along with that and they're gonna sign you if you're a punter that's never punted in the nfl before even with a great college resume you're less likely to get that look. I'm not saying it's fair or it's right. And he seems to be totally exonerated and cleared. I want to make sure that that that's, that's obvious and, 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 and stated, but there is still going to be some baggage that comes with that. And that's my assumption of why he's not been signed. All right. Uh, Tyler Armis writes in Kenny versus Mason, uh, Dave and Alex, you guys are killing it with content always, but especially lately since the season has ended, you, your hard work uh, does not go unnoticed. Thanks for that. Tyler. He asked, my question relates to the quarterback competition this off season with the introduction of Arthur Smith as OC. Will Smith get a chance to evaluate both quarterbacks and make the call to go with starter or make a switch if he deems necessary. Is that something he would have to ask Tomlin about? I guess I'm just wondering if him being there will have any effect on who the starter is slash will be during his time there. Not sure if y'all even uh, uh, can, 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 can even answer that. Tyler, first and foremost, it's important to remember that Mason Rudolph's not under contract right now. Uh, that, that, that's where we start now. Uh, it sounds like they want to obviously try to resign and we'll see how that plays out. My hope, uh, and, and I can't, and I would think Tomlin has final say as to, you know, obviously you're going to talk to your coach is going to be a, a group evaluation as far as starter. And, uh, I mean, look, it, it, you saw what it took for, 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 for Tomlin to give the quote on a quote hook if you will, to a guy like Trubisky, 
um, uh, late last season for them to even go down that uh, number three quarterback role uh, 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 road with Mason Rudolph here. Uh, when you when you talk about the whole the quarterback situation as a whole, and, and even with the unknowns right now outside of uh, Kenny Pickett, my hope is is that they open this thing up in in during the off season and obviously into training camp as a competition and nobody is declared anything until they get through that process. Now, obviously if you go out there and let, you know, we talked about Justin Fields. if you go out there and if you spend any kind of money or draft capital or pedigree and back it up with a fifth year option or whatnot, I mean, I, it goes without saying. I mean, if you if if you if you're going down that road, you're going to know who the quarterback's going to be at least mm-hmm. week one there. But let's assume, which is dangerous to do, let's assume that the room includes Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph, and somebody else. My hope is that they they go into this thing making making somebody earn that week one job. That's what I hope so too. They should. I don't think it should be given. I don't think Pickett has done enough to be just handed the job. And that seems to be the assessment that Pittsburgh, you know, Tomlin and Rooney uh, have so far. Well, I think the, the starting Look, quarterback. Matt, Mitch Trubisky was week one starter for his, for his first season because of that contract. Right. I mean, yeah. And, and they didn't want to have Pickett start right away. They were hoping to give him some time on the bench to learn and watch and grow before putting him on the field. So I think contract will will shed a lot of light on it. However, comma, I mean, if you brought in, brought back Mason Rudolph on a contract even similar to what, say, Mitch's was when he had first initially signed, I think there's still enough enough leeway there where you can make it a competition. At, at what point? At what point? Uh, at what? Uh, what average yearly value does Mason Rudolph become? The automatic start, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, I don't know that number. I, I don't think he's going to sign a contract in Pittsburgh that's going to make him the automatic starter from a, a monetary standpoint. I think it'll be a deal that's going to have him, again, especially since Pickett's on a rookie contract. So mm. the, the, the investment in the quarterback room is going to be light, even if you're paying $5 million for Rudolph. And even if he is the backup, it's not a killer because you're not spending a ton of money in that room in general compared to half the league that have a, has a bunch of money. Um, well, I think the quarterback uh, battle should be a competition and should be open and quarterback plays so much more than just mobility. Smith's offenses, generally speaking, have favored quarterbacks who can move. They can make plays with their legs. They can get out in space on rollouts and boots off their wide zone play action. I do think from that standpoint, it fits Pickett better than Rudolph. Not that it guarantees it for Pickett and Smith had Matt Ryan in 2021. And so you can adjust your offense and, and your concepts, but just watching it, you know, Tannehill, Mariota, Ritter, et cetera, there's always kind of an element of quarterback mobility and what in the, the concepts that Smith likes to run. And that does, I think, give Pickett an initial edge going into the summer. All right. Uh, Rob Enos from SoCal. Dave and Alex, I uh, realize it's too early to ask this hypothetical question, but when the Steelers are on the clock uh, at 20, uh, Cooper DeJean, uh, is it DeJean or 
You know, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know who he is. <laughs> yeah, the Iowa. Uh, yeah. uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, who we all know uh, who that is at this point, and Tyler Guyton are, are all available. The Steelers did not sign. Uh, I guess he's, 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 he's inferring the Steelers did not sign a starting cornerback, corner center, or tackle before the draft. Who would you choose at 20? Who do you think the Steelers would choose? Do you think a trade down for extra picks would be the choice for the Steelers? Boy, you want to talk about a hypothetical? <laughs> uh, yeah, Rob, that, that, that definitely is one. Uh, look, I've got, I've watched a little bit of uh, Cooper. I've watched a lot of Jackson Powers Johnson. I've watched like highlights of Tyler Guyton uh, there. Uh, I, I will just say this where I'm at right now in this thing. This team needs a center. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I, you know, Alex might push me back here because of the cornerback position. I think he's gone down a couple of the rabbit holes there. Uh, uh, from where I sit right now, this team needs a center. So I'd be more apt to go with Jackson uh, Powers Johnson there, assuming they did not sign a starting cornerback center. Tackle before the draft. Uh, do I think they'll trade down for extra picks? I, who knows, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be asked that a lot more as we go through this process here, which, which way would you be leaning Alex and why? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would have to probably punt on most of these questions. I don't have a great answer. I'm not opposed to taking a center in the first round. I think Jackson Powers Johnson probably will be the first center taken uh, in this class and likely in the first round as we sit here today. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not against that, that choice by you, Dave. I actually may lean there right now myself, given those three choices and options, but I really don't have a good answer at all. Excuse, excuse me. And um, in terms of trading down, they don't even know if they're trading down right now. I mean, we're, that, that just depends on a million variables based on the offer that you get, the board in front of you, the strength of classes, how free agency goes. I mean, could they? Sure. But I mean, they could do anything. They could well, they could be down. They could stand pat in February. I don't think any team knows what they're really going to you know, really do with that first round pick aside from maybe the teams at the very, very top. All right, Brett writes in. First, I want to answer Dave's question. Uh, answer Dave's question. I really like the extended discussion about the Smith hire. I do not have a strong opinion about his hiring one way or another uh, going into it, but I feel much more informed about what to watch for and expect. Uh, and, and, and he says, thank you for that. He says, I have some follow-up questions. Uh, you made a point about how few people they interviewed. Do they think they had do you think they had him pegged as the guy going in uh, Tomlin? He says, Tomlin's comment sure suggests that to me. Number two, do you think this is a case of painting the barn red more of a uh, Mr. Right now than a Mr. Right forever. Number three, you talked a lot about his time in Atlanta. And I know that some head coaches will have OC that doesn't call plays, etc. I call that an OC or DC in name only. Is that how it worked in Atlanta? Did he have a dedicated OC that called plays? If he did, how much should we ding him for the issues? Uh, he called plays in Atlanta, right? He did. There was an OC, Dave Ragone, right. but Smith, to my knowledge, called plays the entire time there. Uh, he says, I know play calling isn't the end all be all, but uh, it does indicate a level of control of the process. Number four, bottom line, knowing what you know right now, do you think this offense will be better uh, next year? I'm going to start at number four. Uh, 
it all depends on the quarterback play, man. And I think my biggest takeaway, I think he can accomplish some of the things that he wants to accomplish as far as the ground game goes. At least I hope he better, uh, because if he doesn't, it's going to be hard to build off of, uh, of that, uh, altogether. I think it needs to be a top 10, if not better, uh, run offense, uh, with, with his background over the last five years. Uh, do I think the offense will be better next year? It To me, it all comes down to the quarterback play. And I do get hung up on the biggest thing here is offenses need explosive plays and explosive plays through the air. He did not have that uh, in totality in his three years in Atlanta. A lot of that can be circled back to, I think, the, uh, the quarterback play and when it was good in his two seasons at Tennessee, the best it got was 15th, 16th overall in total passing plays. I think you can live off of that if you get to that point. But to me, uh, I'm not going to be able to answer, will that offense be better in 2024 until I see what they can get out of quarterback play? Uh, not, uh, uh, any, any Anything to add on, on, on that discussion? The only answer I can give to will this offense be better is God, I hope so. It's got to be better. Man, he likes to use the middle of the field and, you know, they got the weapons to do it. And, you know, we see the, they were able to have some chunk plays and, and some monstrous chunk plays in Atlanta on top of it uh, there. But uh, to me, it, it it's all about the quarterback. Here, mm-hmm. here, 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 moving forward. Number three, uh, we talked, okay, we already kind of hit on, on this. Um, look, uh, it, it was his call, to, to my understanding, he was the play caller in Atlanta, and he, whatever brunt you want to put on him for that, put it on him. Yeah, to my knowledge, he was the guy the entire time. I know uh, at his introductory press conference when he got hired in 2021, he was asked, will he call the plays? And he said, yes, I will call the plays, and I believe that stuck throughout his entire time there. I don't know the exact structure of how things work, but uh, to my knowledge, he was the play caller. To the first question about, do we think that Smith was Tomlin's guy from the onset? That's why they only interviewed three people. I think when you start looking at that, you kind of have an inkling if you're Tomlin about who you like and who you're gravitating towards. I don't know if you have that answer. Okay, this is definitely the guy I'm going to hire. I think it was the combination of he checked the boxes from the experience standpoint, the play calling uh, coordinator experience standpoint. Uh, kind of a, a broader vision aligning with Pittsburgh about being physical, running the ball, uh, really kind of starting there and building your pass game off of that. That fits with what Pittsburgh's looking to do. And then apparently it was in demand. He was going to go to Tampa Bay and interview there, and Tomlin didn't want to lose him. So I think they wanted to get a deal done right then and there because I think Tomlin's concern was if I lose Arthur Smith, who do I go to? You know, Thomas Brown, Gerard Johnson, I don't think were exactly the candidates who were fitting a, you know, what Pittsburgh needed and what they were we're searching for. So I think there was probably some motivation to get a deal done immediately. So they would not even risk losing Smith to another team. And I think you can marry number one, and number two together. He, he, he talks about, do you think they pegged him as the guy going in? And then number two, he says, do you think this is a case of painting the barn red? I, I sh- my short answer to both those questions combined after the fact and knowing what I think I know now which I'm, you know, uh, is, is the same as really everybody listening to this at this point would be yes. Wait, when they say part, paint the barn red, meaning another, another words, just fits yeah, with what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With, with, with their personnel and all like that. In other words, this, this is a personnel. And I kind of, I, I hit on that right out of shoot 
you know, uh, mm-hmm. after the hiring saying, man, it really feels like, you know, they have what they have, you know, the investments that they've made up until this point, you know, uh, on offense really isn't going to change significantly. You know, although you would like to see another center or tackle in there, but outside of that, how much, how much personnel wise is this thing outside of going out and getting another quarterback? Is this, is, is, is this thing likely to change? So in other words, you know, you know what your personnel is or what you think your personnel is on the inside. You want, you want to kind of look for an offensive coordinator that you think can best handle what you evaluate your, your, your born being the color it being. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Because uh, Art Rooney had said we're looking for an OC to to build upon what we have so far to to not totally overhaul our style and and I would say not just personnel but, per, but personality. The, the, the personality for Pittsburgh they didn't want to change. They wanted to keep it the same. They want to improve upon it, make it more effective. Of course, have to open up the pass game, but they just wanted somebody to build upon as opposed to scrap and restart. And that fits with with Arthur Smith's background and what he values. All right, great questions. Uh, I really appreciate the uh, uh, the piece, uh, the article being emailed to us. Uh, that'll be some good reading later on today. Alex, tell us about the couple of tight ends they worked out. Yeah, I should have mentioned that they didn't sign anybody yet, but they did work out two tight ends earlier this week in Parker Hesse, who has followed. I know who this- he is. Thanks to our interview the other day. Uh, oh yeah, from uh, from Aaron. Yeah, uh, he mentioned he mentioned I think Parker mm-hmm. at some at some point there, and uh, and so Hesse was with Arthur Smith in Tennessee in 2019 and 2020 on the practice squad, and then uh, followed him to Atlanta for the last three years. Had played a lot in 2022, I think in part due to Kyle Pitts being injured. Didn't play as much in 23. Tight end played some fullback as well, and so kind of a, a inline blocker, fullback, lead blocker type of guy there. And then Dakota Allen, the other from Eastern Kentucky. Played everything in college. He was a quarterback, running back, punter even. Uh, became a tight end his senior season. I think tore his ACL. Um, and he had uh, worked out for the Falcons in September of 2023. So neither player had signed. Hesse would not be surprised if he eventually right. found his way to Pittsburgh based on him following Smith and a need for maybe a more truly blocker fullback type. Uh, but we'll keep you posted. Right. A uh, couple of interesting names there. All right. Uh, you got anything else to add before we get out of this two-hour episode? Yeah, just one quick note for the morning. I hope to have a video on the site. I was I was going back, and I'm really kind of getting to my Falcons tape study. And I, I, I started with the uh, 2022 game against Pittsburgh just to watch that game. I had that tape easily pulled up. And there was one really interesting thing that, that Arthur Smith did about kind of layering plays and constraint plays and building off of one, one call that became seven different plays. And it was really interesting. So I'll have a video kind of break right. that down, hopefully, for the morning. All right. I look forward to that. Uh, good job, Alex. We got two hours. Uh, good talk uh, uh, with the roundtable there. Uh, we appreciate uh, the, our contributors sitting in on that. Alex and I will be back on Friday. I have a feeling we'll be talking about previewing the Super Bowl and giving our picks for that. Are we going to have another roundtable Friday or no? Yeah, we'll have the uh, Senior Bowl. We'll okay. have uh, uh, Ross McCorkle and Jonathan Hytritter on to talk Senior Bowl. All right. That should be fun as well, too. All right. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter slash X at Steelers Depot. Follow Alex Kazora at Alex underscore Kazora. You guys already do that. Uh, follow at 
uh, terrible podcast at terrible podcast uh, email the show the terrible podcast at gmail.com if you like what we do and want to donate to the cause steedersdepot.com hit the donate button also had a lot of ad free signups uh, the last uh, couple of uh, last week here thank you everybody uh, for that if you don't know what that is it's an ad free version of Steelers Depot for $25 and that is for one full year. Now we're going to be going up on that price. We got to get some, you know, a few bugs worked out with the plug in and all like that, but uh, it's, it's, it's an extreme value. We're probably going to be raising the price on that around uh, draft time or thereabouts. We haven't decided completely what the price will be, what the time frame will be, but uh, a price increase uh, that is coming. So you can nip that in the bud and get one uh, uh, ahead of that happening there. A lot of people took advantage of that. Thanks to the post Alex did this past week. So, until Friday, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.